0: Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic today on the show. Look, I know that it's Scoot Vic holiday. I know we're excited. I know we're ready to get going on 2023 NBA draft season in earnest. But Spins and I are going to talk about that on Friday on the podcast particularly. There's a chance that I do a live stream after the Scoot Vic show tonight as it is. But before we do that, it's a Wednesday pod on Tuesday night here. I've got Mark Schindler in the building. Mark is one of my favorite, just people talking, writing about basketball. I think he is so, so smart at thinking about the game. Uh, It's, Obviously, not just the NBA. You can tell by how people translate across covering different types of basketball, how smart they are. And Mark has been incredible, giving great WNBA coverage. He's been great writing about NBA young players, writing about draft prospects over the last couple of years. I I am a big fan of Mark. So Mark is here. We're going to talk about 2022-23 NBA breakout players. And the way this is going to go, before I introduce him, we're going to talk about three guys each. We're going to go back and forth. I don't know Mark's guys. Mark might have an indication of my guys just because the thumbnail exists, right? Uh, So I've kind of had to give a little bit of a take, but I am excited to talk about this. We're going to go back and forth. We're each going to pick three guys, and we're going to talk about six guys in total that we're excited to see have a breakout season. Mark, with all that being said, 90 seconds later, How's it going, man?
1: It's good. I don't know how I'm supposed to live up to that intro, but I appreciate it, man. It's uh, it's I've been listening to the pod for a while, so it was cool when we finally connected a couple a uh, couple months ago. I guess now it's it, this. Let me just say, I have no idea what's happened since by April. Uh, if I I feel like <laughs> I I check my phone daily, like what what day of the week is this? I think I had, uh, and this is not meant as a flex. It's more just how my work went. I went from. Somebody who had flown, you know, typical Midwest person who had flown about like six times in my life prior to the summer. And I had fourteen round trips from August to the end of September. So, yeah, um, yeah, man, we're we're living we're living life. Basketball is, uh, I, I have like a slight reprieve because uh, FIBA Women's World Cup just ended, and now we're we're in preseason. So, I'm here, man. I'm ready for this. I I I do know now who your guys are, but I I'm excited. To, it makes me even more excited. to Get in mind. So
0: yeah it's funny like i'm same as you like grew up in the midwest my wife just fucking roasts me all the time for like how did you not travel because people you know as people know laura's from australia and people who aren't from the midwest or aren't from the united states they travel more like they get out more i didn't have a passport until i was like 20, maybe 25, oh, wow. okay. something like that. Like, did not really travel all that much outside of the country. I, like, I went to Canada. That was really it. But Same. uh now look at me. I live in freaking Australia. Here's where we are. Uh Mark, before we get into giving specific names, I want to just kind of define what a breakout player is because The GM poll came out today, and one of the questions that were asked of the NBA's 30 general managers was this idea of who's going to be the biggest breakout player this year. And their answers, I think, are reasonable. They're just not how I would necessarily define breakout. Like, their most likely player to have a breakout season in 2022-23 was Evan Mobley. He got 21% of the votes. Number two was Cade Cunningham and Anthony Edwards. Number four was Zion Williamson. I kind of think those guys have all already broken out. Like Evan Mobley, I thought, had a real case to be an all-star last year. Uh, Zion Williamson has been an all-star already. I know that he's not been top of mind because of his injury history. Uh, Anthony Edwards averaged 20 points a game, and I mean – for the love of God, watches playoff games last year. Like that was a breakout if there ever was one. And then Cade, you know, if you would have watched the last 30 games of the Piston season last year, which I get that not a lot of people did, but like I did. And I feel like I kind of saw it when he averaged like 19, five and five already. So when I define breakout players, I guess I'm thinking of something a little bit different, but It you know everyone has their own definition. Mark, what what would you define as a breakout?
1: I think it's tough because uh you know I try and uh, I'm I'm in the same line as you. I think especially looking at like Cade, Scotty, um like both those guys to me like completely broke out last year. Like I think uh Evan is I I'm not gonna lie, Evan is one of my guys. But for for more reason, I actually have a piece coming out about this this week. Um. But I think it's just tough because, like, especially like you mentioned with K, like that dude got significantly better every month. Like he just honed two or three skills and kept improving. Like Scotty, I mean, I'll never forget watching Scotty's first summer league game, and I was like, "Well, what the fuck do I know about scouting?" Like, I just like I just remember like thinking every everything I thought, I was like, "Scotty's gonna be a great role player." Um, I have questions about self creation, like the touch and everything, and then he's taking fadeaways, you know
0: three minutes and I was like, all right, you know what,
1: whatever. Um, But again, like I I think, and that's not to say that he's not going to be a star, but more like, I mean, his leap last year was like, to me, I'm, I'm already cemented. Like I know that that guy's on a track to be something. Um, Yeah. I think it's probably more about who, uh, how a guy is talked about almost like, and that's going to play into another one of my guys um, who I think already broke out last year, but I think this is the year that people are really going to notice it. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I guess again, like it depends on every single player. Like to me, Zion being on there is laughable. Cause was wasn't he all NBA or like just about, I remember I had him all yeah. NBA. Um, if
0: he didn't make all NBA, he was like 16th place. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. And you, you look at some of the other names here, uh, Anthony Davis Which got a is, vote here. Yeah, <laughs> Rudy Gobert got a vote here. Anthony Davis made the, the 75 team, like the NBA 75 team. Like, yeah. how is that a breakout? Uh Jalen Green, like, I, I didn't really think about Jalen Green for this because I thought that he was great over the course of the last 30 games last yeah. year. Uh Tyrese Halliburton was great when he got to Indiana. Uh Tyrese Maxey had phenomenal playoff series. Ben Simmons has made two All-NBA teams. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think that you hit the nail on the head when you said it's how people are talked about in a big way. Like, Franz Wagner had ostensibly a better all around season than Jalen green last year. Uh, he was a more impactful defender. He was more efficient. He he just kind of did everything at a slightly higher level over the course of the full season last year than Jalen green, which is why he made the all in or all rookie team ahead of Jalen green in terms of voting, but nobody talks about him and like nobody considers him in the same class as Jalen green. I think really up until recently, I think the Euro stuff actually maybe in our circles changed that conversation yeah. a little bit, but it is hard. It, it's I get that it's a hard definitional thing, but I just firmly believe that like, I, I don't know, like if Jalen green averaged 24 points, 25 points a game this year, I wouldn't be surprised, but yeah, I guess that would be, be a breakout, right?
1: Yeah, I think it's tough, too, because, again, like he was not quite at like the same level of Cade. But like he went from somebody who like the first half of the season, his his pacing, his tempo was yeah. just like everything was a million miles an hour. And then yeah. post All-Star break, it felt like something just clicked for him. And he was I mean, he was incredible. I think what he averaged like 23, 24 points per game over the last 24 games, I think. Um, yeah. And yeah, like, I mean, that's somebody who I still view as like he's going to lead the NBA in scoring at some point. It, I mean, that's just kind of, for me, like, it's just going to be a matter of time. He grew as a passer, grew as a creator overall. Um, so, yeah, I agree. Like, he kind of, he already broke out. So, unless he's, like, averaging, like, you know, 29, 30 points per game this season, I don't know if I view him as, like, a breakout candidate because he already did that for me last year.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I guess let's start. I'll, I'll give my first name. My first name was Franz Wagner, and mm-hmm. it's not because Franz isn't very good. Look, this podcast is firmly... Slap the bag 2022. Franz, we're going all in. Every time Franz makes a three, I expect everyone to hashtag slap the bag 2022 or 2023. We're all in on Franz. The thing is, I feel like nobody noticed him last year when he was incredible. And I think he has a very real chance to make the All Star team this year. That's my guy that I brought up earlier when I said, All right, we talked about this off camera, I guess, or off stream. I said to you, I have two guys that I think are going to emerge into like real strong players, high level starters, and then one guy that I think can jump into being an all star. Franz is the guy for me that I think has a legit chance to be an all star. You watch what he was capable of doing at the EuroBasket level. It looked like he had leveled up substantially even in terms of pacing in terms of just comfort overall. Those are highly, highly competitive games. And I get that the spacing is a little bit different in Eurobasket kind of competition. I get that uh, the athleticism levels are a little bit different there. But I think that with the additions of guys like Paulo, with the improvement of guys like Jalen Suggs, I think there's a very, very real chance that we see Franz become the number one option this year and be the guy on a much better magic team than what people are indicating or expecting maybe.
1: Yeah. It's funny too. Cause I'm not, uh, I'm not all the way in the, like they're going to make the plane. I've, I've seen some people say that yeah, I'm not, yeah, yeah. I'm not there, but I think they're going to be like, to me, like 34, 35 wins feels about right for this team. Um, yeah. Cause I think, I mean, even just watching last night, like they're going to have some clear hiccups and issues that, that go on in the half court. But there's also like, I mean, part of this is as, as you got into your, your power with three man, weave like, I mean, that that team wasn't exactly – I mean, that Duke team wasn't exactly great at, at getting Powell the ball in places that made sense in a modern setting. And I think, you know, in, like, 18 minutes of the first half last time, like, yeah, he's already been used in more inventive ways than he was most of the Duke season. Um, yeah. Like, I'm just excited to see what that looks like. Um, and I agree. I think with Franz, like, last year um, I was really high on him because I thought even if, like, I mean, th- there's, there still were some of the – uh shooting hesitancies last year, which honestly, I think it's more just, um, and someone I was talking to, not, not again, not as a, man, as a flex player, like, I was talking to John Quill Jones about this during the finals, Like, um, mm-hmm. and for people who aren't aware, like John Quill, MVP of the WNBA two years ago, incredible, incredible shooter at 6'6", but also really capable of putting the ball on the floor, and she's still someone who like tries to figure out what is the balance between driving and shooting, and I think that's going to be huge for France this year, especially on a team yeah. that yeah. their spacing still kind of needs to be figured out, and he is arguably the best shooter in the starting lineup. Um, So I'm interested to see what that looks like. Cause I think it's just adding like a half beat of decisiveness instead of having some of that, almost like thinking too much about doing it. And it's kind of ridiculous to think about what that look look could, what that could look like for him if he's shooting six or seven threes per game, instead of, you know, checking out of some of those. And as good as the drives can be, because I'm I'm a big proponent of redrives and just continuing possessions, but um, there are more opportunities for him to really shoot the ball and take advantage of that. Um, and like you mentioned with Eurobasket, I mean, uh, I, I never quite know what to take away from international play sometimes, which, you know, it feeds <laughs> into a guy who ended up not making my list. But, like, uh, yeah, I, I, I totally see it. Like, if he averaged 20 points plus per, per game this season, I don't think I'd be too
0: surprised. I think that's where I'm at. I think he's going to average 20 plus. You know, we have a question here from L M F F F A A A O in the YouTube chat asking, how do you think the depth chart is going to work for the magic? I mean, the answer is I have no fucking idea, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but like, I I think that the guy that like kind of gums up the works there more than anything is Jonathan Isaac. If Jonathan Isaac ever comes back, like I, mm-hmm. I actually think the depth chart is like somewhat sensible if he doesn't return, like you get, you know, 48 minutes from Wendell Carter and Mo Bamba, you get, 30 minutes from Paulo and then maybe slide Wendell Carter down to the four sometimes you maybe slide Franz down to the four. Occasionally you maybe slide him up to the two. Sometimes you play Franz at the three, most of the time, obviously their backcourt, you have guys like Markel Fultz, uh, Jalen Suggs, Cole Anthony, that are going to play the one and the two. And then Gary Harris is out for a little while now as well. So like, I, I, I get the, I get the role concerns, but I actually think that like, in terms of finding like your eight or nine guys that you're going to go with, I think they might be okay in that regard early in the season. And it'll allow someone like Franz, particularly as like the top of the food chain to be able to like really establish himself in in a big way. Yeah. In
1: some ways too, I almost feel like not that it's, it's never really good that there are injuries, but I think in some ways it's almost good that, um, they're going to be forced to really play big. And I think put the ball in Francis' hands more, especially like you mentioned, like Gary Harris was huge for them last year yeah. and what he was able to do as a secondary creator and just be an active guard for them. Um, because I, I I don't, again, not intended to slander, but like I am not a believer in the RJ Hampton uh, running bench units train, which maybe they yeah, do they that are. just to keep their... Um, well, I, keep some I their- think
0: that what you do is you have Cole Anthony that can run the yeah, bench unit this year and look like, honestly, he might start a point too, because I forgot, Yeah, that especially I just announced
1: with Markell out for a little in bit.
0: September. Yeah. That Markel has like, what is it? A broken toe if I remember yeah, I correctly. So. Um. So yeah, like it's, it's, it's tricky. It, it, it's a really tricky one. So yeah, I agree with you. The RJ Hampton bench experience is not going to go well. I, I don't want yeah. that.
1: Yeah. And I just think in some ways it's going to force the ball into the, like just forcing a lot more pick and roll playmaking from your bigs, which I'm excited about. Like some people saw Paolo playing the three yesterday, and like, oh, that shouldn't happen. Like, no, man, I love it. Like, let's just see it. Why not? It's his rookie year, it's preseason. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Just play funky, figure it out. Um, They're well, my, like, almost my number that, one team to watch.
0: Just do that early in the season, too. And here's yeah. the thing with drafting Paolo and Franz, both of whom are, you know, six foot 10. I don't... Have you seen Paulo in person yet? I have not. I need... It's hard to... It's hard to explain how big he is. I wasn't sure if you went to Summer League or not. I was at
1: Summer League, but I was... I was... Honestly, it was funny. I feel like I was at Summer League and I think I caught one game in person. So it was like, you know, one of those things, but...
0: Yeah, like, Paulo is like fucking huge like we'll be able to play the five at some point i think Mm -hmm. like that's that's the biggest thing like i saw him at the final four it's just like oh my god and i've seen him previously before that like nike basketball academy places like that you don't really recognize how big paulo is until you see him in person i've said that on the podcast a couple of times um the the thing with franz and paulo though is that they're incredible ball handlers at that size so like you can afford to do something like start jalen suggs and terrence Ross. And while neither of those guys are like high level point guards necessarily, like at least Suggs isn't yet as much as I love Jalen and I'm still all in on the Jalen Suggs experience at this point. Mm. They're not like high level going to get everyone involved in all of the right places immediately from the jump guys at this point of their careers, having guys like Franz and Paulo that can really handle the ball that can initiate sets. It allows you to get a little bit creative on offense and run some things in the half court, that, you know, you can allow Jalen just to be the superstar in transition that he's capable of being and run the court that way. You can allow Franz to, like, come up from the corner off of, like, a screen from Paulo. You can have Paulo, like, just kind of duck in and try and get a seal on a switch because he's huge, and the guy that's guarding Franz at the three is probably still even a mismatch for Paulo. And then you can have Franz come up. You can have him take, like, a ball screen and just – kind of roll offense that way. And, you know, you have to hope that Jalen Suggs' shooting comes around in a somewhat substantial way. And I have some faith in that. Like, I, I think mm-hmm. he's a worker. I think that we saw some good shooting indicators at Gonzaga to think that last year was just kind of a mess with the hand injury and, you know, a, a number of different factors there. So I, I don't know. Like, I, I think that they can get creative offensively in large part because of the marginal efficiencies that or marginal inefficiencies, I guess, that uh, Paulo and Franz allow for you in terms of size against other opponents.
1: Yeah, no, I love that. I think, uh, I mean, even again, even just like pointing to what they did last night, like there was a ton of, okay, Paulo is bringing the ball up in transition and they have guards out of corners setting ins. So you can, either you're forcing uh, a late switch that, and it's not even about like opening. I think so, so many times people see stuff like, um, like even just like going to the, the Phoenix, Milwaukee series, everybody talks about like, oh, well, Brooke Lopez is sw- switching and he's getting cooked. I'm like, no, he's, he's switching. And they're getting cooked behind him. And I think that's so much more what it is for me about Orlando. It's not about necessarily having these giant mismatch battles. It's more about like when you have guys with size who can play, make and handle like that, um, I think it just creates so many more opportunities to really rearrange what the the chessboard looks like defensively for a team. Uh, like we saw the Cavs do this last year. Like um, I honestly like the Cavs playing so big, but being able to just play simplistically was what made that offense, even if it wasn't perfect, like it was effective. Um, Jared Allen, Evan Mobley high lows were just insane. And I think we're going to see a lot of the same stuff with the magic, but even more expansion in the playbook. Um, if you want to move off France, I can talk about my magic guy now because I think – this. Oh, is you have a
0: favorite. guy on the magic too. I do have I, a guy I the almost magic. asked you about this because yeah. I had a strange sneaking suspicion that you were going to I pick. tweet
1: about him like every day, so it's hard for for me to not have him on the list. Yeah, give me the name. Uh, Wendell Carter Jr. Um, okay, I thought he, it was going to be Suggs because I see you tweet yeah. about Suggs a decent amount too. I so love like. Suggs, but yeah, for me it's it's Wendell. <laughs> um I just, like, I, I don't know. I Maybe I'm partially biased because I feel like this entire summer everybody's been trying to uh, use him as a trade ship. When he was Orlando's best player last year, pretty much the entire season, um, a lot of people like to point to Obama and say that he's the reason that Orlando's defense was so good. And, like, no, man, well, A, watch Wendell, and B, look at the rim protection numbers too. Like, he – grew incredibly as a rim protector and just defensive player overall last year. Part of that is, you know, not playing in a blitz, everything defense, believe it or not useful. Um, but I think the biggest, I, I was, can't, I can't believe
0: that someone did yeah, that. I, that was, I honestly, what can't.
1: a time to be alive. Um, Jim Boylan just Jim should Boylan. go coach college. That should be a thing. But um, in terms no, no, of, no, don't, don't, put well, him I mean, around, I'm kids. not putting that on college kids, <laughs> but I'm just saying that's, that's very much his speed. Um, But, like, looking at Wendell, though, like, his handle got so much better last year. Like, that was the biggest thing for me. Um, and he got to a point, again, it's less about being a quote-unquote mismatched nightmare. But he got to the point where he was too strong for any four to really guard him if he was able to get them in, but just catching the mid post and go. He had, like, very little hesitation in his game, especially compared to what it was look like looking like in Chicago. Um, he got up more volume from three, and I think there's still room for that to continue to improve. Again, like kind of like I mentioned, uh, with talking about like JJ and Franz, like finding that balance of like, okay, am I going to go set, you know, set a flare screen, uh, or like, you know, make this a turn, turn this into a quick DHO, quick hitter, or am I going to take the shot? Like, I think there are some, there's some room to improve that, but in terms of his aggression attack in the basket and out of face-ups, um, I was incredibly impressed with it. I think this year to me is going to be more about with hopefully better spacing in the offense. Um, and just a little bit more dynamism in it overall. I think that there is real room for him to continue with that. And being somebody who, with what he showed last year in terms of really taking the reins and being an aggressive player. Like I don't know that he's necessarily going to be an all-star this year. But I do think he's trending towards that. Like To me, I thought he was a top 50 player last year. Um, I think if he's able to keep improving uh, his craft around the rim, um, which is going to be the biggest hindrance to him you know, becoming a more high-level scorer. Um, to me, I'm I'm there with him becoming a near all star level player, and I just think like this year, I really hope people get to realize how special a player he is. Like, I don't love talking just about numbers and contracts, but I think automatically I would list him as one of like if you're excluding rookie contracts because that's cheating. Um,
0: oh yeah, no, no, this is a bargain. Yeah. This he is has, like one of the best yeah.
1: contracts in the league in terms of what actual re- return value is going to be, and I think he just turned twenty five or twenty four. No, yeah. uh. So yeah. Oh no, he just turned. He's 23. What am I talking about? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, like, he, he
0: turns 24 somewhat yeah. soon.
1: Yeah. So he's really, really good. A lot's going to depend on the three uh, continuing to grow, but I'm I'm a big believer in him.
0: Yeah, I'm a big believer in Wendell too. The guy that people compared Wendell to pre-draft was Al Horford all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Like that. That was just the guy, and he is going right along that trajectory, like every single step of the way it feels like you mentioned a lot of like the weird, you know, DHO stuff, the screen, rescreen actions, you know, coming off and, you know, setting off ball screens for guys that are just like really smart. Just like these little like shimmy screens almost where like, he just like kind of steps up and like catches a guy like, and gets his feet set real quick to be able to get Franz, for instance, for you to be able to get Terrence Ross free coming up from the corner. Right. Like, it's just Mm -hmm. like, it's little stuff like that, that he does that, you know, it doesn't show up in the box score. It's really sharp. And then on top of it, like, the thing that people always expected from Wendell was the shooting, right? Like, the shooting is what really opens up his game in, like, a pretty substantial modern way, right? Uh, Al Horford, it took Al Horford a while to, like, really become, like, a legit three corner three-point shooter or a legit you know I, i'm gonna take this pick and pop and knock down a shot right like it, it just wasn't a huge part of his repertoire when he was 22 23 it was it became one as he moved to the celtics right mm-hmm. wendell's picking that up earlier in his career and because of how much dexterity he has with the ball because of how quickly he seems to process actions uh, it just allows you to flow into so many different offensive sets. And, you know, to go back to our previous conversation about Franz and Paulo in the way that they kind of just allow for so many different mismatch nightmares uh, for you, it is a little bit weird insofar as, like, you're going to be able to switch a lot of those Franz-Paulo-Wendell actions, right, in, like, a strange way that might not be is much of like a mismatch situation, Mm. but you're like, you might almost be better off like running like one fives for Wendell, as opposed to like the weird four fives and three fives that I think you and I like, as like basketball nerds. We want to get super fucking creative and be like, let's do all this wild shit. Right. Um, and like, not even that's like wild shit anymore, but like, it's, it's different and not every coach runs it. Right. Um, I wonder with Wendell. I wonder with the magic. Like you're going to be able to do a lot of wild shit, but like you're also going to want to like try and create as many mismatches and foster as many like strange situations. It, it's weird. I'm I'm trying to like navigate in my head what they're going to look like as we're talking, yeah. and I just don't know. I guess. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's funky because especially too. Like I mean, that's one of my favorite parts. Of Wendell. Like Wendell's one of the ten best screeners in, in basketball. Yeah, he's, he's unbelievable. So unbelievable. Um. And I think to me, like it's like, like like you were just mentioning. I think trying to find, especially like, um, it's not like I, I think that there's almost been too much of a, cor- a course correction that like ball stopping is bad. Um, sometimes you are just yeah. that freaking good. Like Powell gonna. Yeah, like Trey Trey on. Young
0: should have the ball in his hands all the time. Exactly. That's why I'm like, like a little bit worried about the Dejounte fit because yeah. like there's probably diminishing returns on taking the ball out of Trey's hands and putting it in DeJounte's hands. Exactly. And I think for me,
1: like, over the next couple of years, seeing how Orlando uh, tries to find that, like, finds more of, like, okay, we're going to be in a flow while also knowing that we can really – because, I mean, they're going to be – I mean, they're such an an inside-out team, which I'm excited about because I love watching inside-out basketball with – I mean, they have, like, three really gifted interior passers already. Um, But, again, like, I think – was especially with Wendell, uh, his his shot coming along uh, even further, and you know being somebody who especially like if you if he gets a three on him or a four on him, like I trust him to take it to the post, and even if he's not getting the ball in the basket, like he's getting fouled. Um, he's just yeah. so strong for most people and quick enough to do it. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm very excited, especially too like defensively, like he's not technically a four, but like I'm comfortable with him playing on a lot of fours. Uh, especially when you're yeah. looking at, um, you know, if he's able to play help side, um, you know, he he defended Joel Embiid probably the best that anybody did one on one last year. Which, granted, that's not everything, but um, I think he's really shown his medal as a, an actual post defender. Um, and I mean, going at Embiid offense with so those, the, it was very late season, but I think they played two games within like four or five days of one another against the Sixers in in like February last year, and those were two of Wendell's brightest games. So um yeah i'm very excited to see this magic team play man i could just list off all the magic players and hopefully this is Chumo kiki's year but we'll see
0: yeah like it is interesting like i'm trying to pull up like the on off numbers like i think that one of the things that you know the Cavs taught us last year right in terms of defense is just how valuable it is to have length out there right yeah. how valuable it is just to have that you know, constant presence of rim protection. If a team pulls Jared Allen away from the basket, having Evan Mobley there on the weak side. Uh, but to do that and to make that work, you have to have this guy that is capable of switching, that is incredibly technically sound, that is incredibly smart rotationally. I think that Carter, while he's nowhere near as, you know, mobile and as athletic as Mobley, his technical defensive skills Are just so, so high level in terms of his footwork and in terms of, again, his processing ability. Like he is just really, really sharp. I know that like, you know, people on the podcast probably got sick of listening to Cole's wicker talk about how fucking good Wendell Carter was in terms of processing the game before Cole got hired by Houston. Like Mm -hmm. it, it just, it's absolutely accurate. It's the way that it is. Like he is a super, super smart processor of basketball at the end of the day. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking here at, just what the defensive rating numbers were when Carter and Bamba were out on the court. The the problem with the Carter Bamba lineups was offense. It wasn't defense. Like uh, they couldn't really figure out the spacing because while Mo, he can shoot a little bit. Teams don't really respect him out there. They're pretty comfortable with him shooting and he doesn't really pass it at a super high level. Like you don't, get the mark, like it's kind of the same thing. Like you watch miles Turner all the time, yes. right? Because yeah, you right for, for Indy cornrows, like it's a similar deal where, you know, because miles doesn't have a lot of dexterity with the ball and like, doesn't really dribble all that well. Teams are just like, okay, we'll close out hard if we have to. He probably can't hurt us that way, but if he takes the shot, like we're kind of good with it, regardless. Uh, and what that does is it kind of gums up the rest of the offense, even though he gets, you know, talked about as the shooter. Right? Uh, it's kind of a similar effect with Mo Bamba in terms of the way that offense kind of functions with him, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, the 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 action is either dying or going in the hoop with him, and that's it. Can look great um, from play to play, but process wise, it never ends up being awesome. So, I, I think him re-signing was actually one of the more kind of surprising things to me in free agency. Yeah, um, I'm interested I, it, it kind of. I still think he's like yeah. he's got utility. It's just oh yeah, yeah, yeah where yeah. they're going, it's really odd. Um, so I don't know. We'll see how it plays out.
0: Yeah. The, the team that I thought should have looked at him was Phoenix. Like I, I think Phoenix yeah. would have been interesting, like using Mo as like a backup center. Um, and, and I like Mo. Like I think Mo can be a top 30 center in the league. It's just going to probably not be here. And it's probably going to need to be in like more of like a five out scheme with a lot of ball handling that works. Cause he does have real rim protection skill. He is like going to make a lot of money playing basketball. Like he's really, really good. It's it, not really, really good, but like, he's a good player. It's just like this fit it is going to gum things up a little bit for Paulo and Franz and guys like that to kind of close off the loop on the magic. You kind of mentioned that you're going to be interested to see how these guys develop over the course of the next few years. I kind of think it's going to be fine. Like I I think that like, because Franz is so good at moving without the ball, being unselfish but also being efficient and processing the game quickly knowing when it's his turn being able to make good shot selection decisions because wendell carter is incredibly smart and intelligent and processes things quickly does all the little things incredible screener has some shooting potential i think that like you can just allow paulo to grow naturally and organically into this high level role as being like the primary creator and it doesn't take as much off the table of someone like Franz is what like the traditional um, you know, usage would necessarily, I guess, especially mm-hmm. given that Paulo is such a good passer. Like that was the thing that I said pre-draft. Like, I think he was the best passing. Like I think he was the best passer in the lottery that was taken. Like it was either him or Dyson Daniels. So I think that having three guys that can really pass that are unselfish that make plays process the game really well it's gonna help when they try and figure out the role definitions of them in that team moving forward.
1: Yeah. No, I agree totally. And I mean, just like you hit on too, I think uh the the last thing I'd have to say. I mean, like, Powell is just gonna be so good, man. Like I Yeah, you, know,
0: like, you, you had just, Paulo at one, didn't you? You I
1: mean, were a Powell big... was one for me the entire way. Yeah. Like not that's not trying to beat my chest, but like I just think like watching what he did last year, yeah, man. It was <laughs> It was easy to like. I'm just so excited for him. He's that that Magic team's gonna be so fun.
0: Yeah. No. I I love Paulo. I'm excited for him. Yeah. I had him below Jabari and I had him below Chet and we're not gonna get to see Chet and I'm a little bit disappointed about that. Me too. Um. But I am excited for Paulo. Like Paulo is so good at basketball. He's so fun. Um. The the passing ability is just that thing that's like so so real for him. But we've spent now 30 minutes talking about the Magic. Let's move on. And talk about my second guy. Yeah, this is, this is what this podcast is, right? Um, let's go to my second guy here. My second breakout player. I picked Devin Vassell. So I am a big, big Devin Vassell fan. I have been since pre-draft. Uh, he's just... He's developed, though, into something a little bit different than what I thought he would be. Like, I thought he'd be more traditional 3 and D. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, I didn't really love him as a ball handler. I thought he had like kind of a high dribble at Florida state. He's really improved though. Like he has, he, the, the wingspan number on him is not super long. Like, I think it's like a six foot nine ish wingspan, but because he plays with such bend, he gets the ball low to the ground And because of that, he's really been able to, I think, make some leaps as, like, an actual playmaker with the ball in his hands from time to time. And he can keep the ball a little bit tighter as a ball handler now than, you know, some of these other wings that, you know, play a little bit more upright and struggle to kind of get by guys. And that bend also allows him to functionally kind of get the most out of his athleticism as a driver. Look, like... I'm not sitting here saying Devin Vassell is like a 25 point per game scorer. I'm not saying he is like uh, some incredible all-star level piece, but I think we see Devin Vassell average something like 16, 17 points a game, largely because of role shoots 37, 38% from three. He's a really smart defender who gets his arms into passing lanes and just kind of makes things happen. I think he has a really killer year. And I think that we're looking at, him and Keldon Johnson kind of as like the clear wing combo of the future in San Antonio and one that maybe makes their future look a little bit brighter than you know what this season's record will look like.
1: Yeah, I, I love the mention of of Vassell. And it's it's funny too, because even like last year, like he's almost the guy that I feel like was there. I think it was if if Pop had been willing yeah. to give him a little bit more leeway, I think he's there. Um I love what you mentioned about the bend because I think that's what always stands out to me the most about him. Like obviously his screen navigation um, on defense is impeccable, but I think like, like you're mentioning it's the screen navigation as a ball handler. That's really impressive too. Like it's obviously not the same player, but he kind of has that same, like I can't remember which somebody explained it to me as like frogginess and like talking about Bradley Beal. (laughs) And I think Devin Vassell has that kind of same ability to just like be incredibly like and uh, and flexible laterally and a lot of guys just have trouble keeping up with that because it's not very common um i love that shout yeah i think a lot's gonna depend on how much more he can get to the rim because um, a lot like yeah. he's got a big pension for pull-up twos and i think like what he's shown as a shooter already like i think he's a lot better than the numbers indicate and that's saying a lot i mean he shot 36 percent on good volume last year but um I think just adding in more and more of that, I think, again, like even last year, we saw more and more tempo and pacing in the half court. Um, I really like him as, again, not somebody who's going to be like an all around great playmaker, but somebody who probably averages four or five assists per game at his peak because he's just good at continuing to move the ball. You know, he's really good, especially even with like Yaka Purtle last year. I think it's hard for anybody to not find good rhythm with Yaka Purtle because he's such a good screener. Um, but he speaking was speaking really of best
0: good. screeners in the NBA, right? Yeah, when we talk he's about right about there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and like, I think, I mean, yeah, I I'm, I'm a believer with this. I think biggest thing I want to see from him this year is probably just even more physicality. Like I, I'm interested to yeah. see what his, uh, ability was to, to incredible, not, not incredibly to, to meaningfully add, um, add like core strength and just weight in general, because I think even on defense, like you can get bullied at the point of attack at times. um, and he can get smothered at the rim a little bit just because of contact. And I think if he can improve on that, like that's going to be absolutely huge.
0: You got yelled at earlier this week by a lot of Spurs fans, because yeah. the number one thing that you're interested in this year, I think you said something like, what do the Spurs look like? Or like yeah. who My are the exact Spurs? exact quote was, what the right? fuck are like, the San
1: Antonio Spurs? Yeah. And I'm with that in a good way. Like I, like, I yeah. look up and down this roster, I love what they have assembled. I have no idea how it all fits together. I have no idea what the hierarchy is. Like that's what's so interesting to me too. Cause like last year it was clear it's like, definitely. okay, this is DeJounte Murray's team. Um this year, like I are we gonna get a massive Primo breakout. I probably wouldn't bank on that. I like Primo, but again he's just so so raw. But um like again, like I definitely bet on the Vassell thing happening. Like we already saw what Kelvin did last year, but he's gonna be out for a little bit now. Um yeah. And then you just have like I love Malachi Branham. I'm not biased just because I live 20 minutes away from St. and St. Mary's, but like, um, yeah. I, I mean, like again, just up and like Blake Wesley. Blake Wesley's gonna play a, a, probably more at the G League. I think Malachi's probably gonna play more at the higher.
0: Yeah, like that. That's Branham. the thing that is weird with the Spurs. Yeah, because they tend to bring their young guys along so slowly. Exactly, and it's, but it's like you know, this is it be,
1: year. You know,
0: right. Like, is it because they have always had vets and Pop would prefer to play vets and, like, would prefer the continuity that that allows for? Or is it a circumstance where they just, like, didn't have the need to? And now that they have the need to potentially play their most talented players, is that what happens? I have no fucking idea. Like, I have no idea what this is going to look like this year. Uh, You could tell me that Branham plays, you know, four minutes plays 400 minutes this year or you could tell me he plays 1700 minutes this year because things open up for him and he has a real opportunity i have no idea what to expect and that makes this fun right like you just kind of think about the fact so like kelden has a shoulder injury it doesn't seem that serious from what i gather right Mm -hmm. like it seems like he's gonna miss maybe a little bit of the start of the year right Like, am I missing something there? No, I don't think you're missing
1: anything. I think he just, didn't he just like separate it or something? Uh, And he had to get it checked out. Um, But yeah, I I mean, he's not supposed to miss too much time. So we should be fine. Um, yeah,
0: like I, I think we're gonna be fine there. And like, I think that you know m- maybe we get like more Romeo Langford maybe than you and I would prefer. Uh, <laughs> you know, maybe you get a little bit more uh, honestly, like I'm not real enthused about like rookie Blake Wesley experience uh, in the NBA.
1: Yeah. I think even I mean even Branham too because like Branham's tough because like, yeah. I think he's gonna have like a and i I love Malachi, but like his defense was was pretty rough last year really bad. Really, um, really bad. And it, Talked gonna, about I it, mean, Even watching it, I mean, it was it was very much like watching young DeMar DeRozan in some ways. Uh, yeah. He's like, he's going to cook somebody in the mid-range, and then he's going to get his ass beat on the perimeter on the other end. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there, there's there's just so much here, but also, like, I need to know how it all fits together because I have no idea right now. And, like, somebody in the comments mentioned Sohan, and, like, I like Jeremy Sohan a lot. I was, like, pretty surprised that Spurs picked him because, to me, he's much more. Oh, Really? Like, Yeah, like I mean, I think he makes sense, but especially with Chip Englund leaving too, I was like, I was a little bit surprised. um, Just given, you know, like this is a guy who I think makes a lot less sense to me if you can't make a shot. Figure if you can't figure out a shot, which is why I ended up being like more back end of the lottery uh, with him. But he's just really good at basketball, and the defense is really fun. It's like I don't know. I just look at this team, and there's so many guys who are um, weird off guards and like kind of smaller forwards, and they just – I have no idea how it's all going to fit together, and I want to see it so bad. And I think I'm probably going to yeah. watch more Spurs game than just, just about anybody this year.
0: Yeah, like it's funny. Like I really strongly considered Trey Jones for this because yeah. I was like, okay, they need like an adult and someone who will organize them. And like I at least know Trey will organize them and, you know, make them uh, – like, look, he can only do so much defensively being like a small point of attack defender, but like he'll at least give effort and he'll make it a little bit harder for teams to get in and out of sets at the top. Like, I don't know. Like if Trey Jones averaged, you know, 12 points, seven assists and was like a good defender. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, I think he probably really establishes himself as like a real strong NBA player this year. I really like Trey Jones, but I always have, I had him as like a top 20 guy pre-draft. Um, I don't know. Like it's, this is a weird team. And then there's like the Jakob Pertle trade potential hanging over it. Do they keep Doug McDermott? Do they keep, you know, Josh Richards? Like, I I don't know. I I don't know what this team is going to look like. And I think that your question, what the fuck are the Spurs aptly put, but the thing that I feel most confident in is that Kelvin Johnson, when he gets back, Will probably average twenty points a game, and Devin Vassell is going to be like one of their starting wings and be a very high level uh, breakout guy this year, just because he's going to get opportunities. We're going to get to see him play at a high level. All right, Mark, your second guy. Let's yeah, so go. I hinted it a little bit earlier,
1: but Evan Mobley for me, and I, I know I prefaced by saying I didn't yeah. really want to consider a lot of second year guys, but. Um, it's interesting because this this was like a big thing that I was thinking about last week and I've thought about it a couple of times. I feel like so often when we're like projecting out how good a team is gonna be in the next year, um, there's just a tendency to look at guys like uh like who have already had like an impact, especially straight up as their first r- rookie year. Like there's more we're gonna look at guys like OGN and Obi and say, Well, we haven't seen him do it, so maybe he can do it. Instead of saying, "Well, we've seen this guy do things already," it just makes sense that he's on that track. So, I think when you're looking at like "quote unquote" most improved and how those things are going to play out, like I feel like that's a really heavy factor. Like obviously, there's some expectations come into play for sure. Like OG Ananobi was not drafted anywhere close to where Evan Mobley was, and that's not meant as like a comparison between the two. It's more just like thinking in terms of like OG is always getting the well when he becomes the shot creating wing um i think for me that's just mobley's development this year is almost under talked about in what the Cavs can be because i think so often everybody's like okay well if isaac okoro just becomes a starting level wing which i i do believe in isaac taking steps this year uh but they're like you know that's that's what makes the Cavs hit that higher level where they they make the second round of the playoffs and maybe they have a chance to make the conference finals to me i look at it and i'm like yes that would be awesome and i think that's gonna have a big impact but what if Evan Mobley takes a step from like top 35 to top 15, top 20 player? And I think that's feasible this year, honestly, like just in terms of, you know, going back and watching a bunch of his games and um, watching things in general. So we talked about some of the best screeners in the NBA. Evan Mobley is one of the worst screeners in the NBA. And that's, (laughs) that's been a thing with him for a while. And that's more just by choice than by like, I I think a lot of people chalk up to him just being skinny and no, he just doesn't embrace contact very often. Um, and I think that's something that he can definitely improve on. I know he added weight over the off season. It's just like a little small margin thing like that. That to me, he was a good roller last year. But I think just improving as a screener, embracing more contact, getting especially having Donovan and and Darius. Like Donovan is one of the not a great guard screener, but like he's so effective in ghost actions and things like that that can really damage a defense. That I think you just open up even more if Evan is that much better as a screener. And even more so, though, like I think there are ways to really get him uh, just more touches. And I think to me, like this season, J.B. Bukerstaff is already a good coach for sure. But like in terms of figuring out how good of a coach he is, I think is where I want to see what happens offensively and defensively this year. But I think because they really can if they lean into what their funkiness is, I think they can really just kind of blow people away. Like if if you just have more of, okay, we're going to run out and transition but let Mobley handle the ball because he's good enough to do it. Not even just, it doesn't have to just be straight line drives coming up in transition. And you have a quick back screen from, from Darius Garland in an empty corner or from, from Donovan Mitchell in an empty corner. Like that stuff is effective and it's really good. It's simple things that you can implement and do more of that. They did a little bit last year that I think they can do way more of this year. Um, and I think like, again, it's it, a lot's going to depend on the jumper, but everything I've heard out of Cleveland and base that that we've seen yeah. from, from Evan's off offseason was built on working on his jumper and continuing to improve on that. Um, I think if there is just like even a small incremental growth in what his shooting is, um, we're looking at just a pretty, pretty groundbreaking player. I get like way too excited talking about Evan Mobley, but he's no, I think
0: Evan's a stud. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, I think he makes an all star team this year. So, let's do this. You talked a lot about the offense and I want to get back to the offense, but mm. it's trivia time here, folks. Who is the last second year player to make an all defense team?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. Can I get some sort of hint? Cause I, I can already tell you, I can't get it off the top of my head.
0: Mm. Uh, he was not a
1: big, he was not a big. Oh, wow. Okay.
0: Um, a second year. Play-
1: oh, was it Jante Murray? No, it was Jante Murray. It was, was Jante. Okay.
0: I thought it was Jante Murray in 2018. So I, I kind of have been doing a lot of research into this idea of what is an unreasonable expectation for Evan Mobley on defense this year, right? Like mm-hmm. I've said multiple times, I think Evan Mobley had the best defensive rookie season, you know, since Tim Duncan basically like in 25 years and just like incremental growth toward being what he, I think will be when he's 24 probably makes him an all defense guy this year. But is that unreasonable? Like when was the last guy time a second year guy made it like for the most part, you see these players take a leap in year four, Year four tends to be when guys make, like Jaron Jackson, Mikael Bridges, Bam Adebayo, I think even Ben Simmons, like year four of after they've been drafted in Ben's case is when the all defense leap happens. Given that I just said that Evan is starting from like a higher level than most of these guys are, do we think it's year three or do we think it's year two? Like, I don't know. I I think it's hard. I I think it's like kind of hard to determine, but I, I do think that, there is a lot of space for defensive growth from Evan this year, just with strength. Like Mm. if he is stronger through his core, it's going to make a big difference. Like it's just, it's huge for him. If he can be a primary rim protector like they can play consistently at the five, let alone like, you know, you're going to play Jarrett 30 minutes a game. Right. But like, if you want to close with Mobley at the five because a team is going super small and you want to play hyper switchable and you feel like Evan can actually anchor around the basket, get big rebounds, like not fly in and rely on his length all the time, that's a big difference maker for them as a team. And obviously, like, look, I, I know that Jarrett got a lot of plaudits last year defensively and he deserved them. I thought. I thought his breakout more so than even on offense came on the defensive end because Mm -hmm. he got so much smarter in terms of like, being steady in drop actions and not chasing everything around the basket. He was very chasey with Brooklyn, which is I think part of the reason why the Nets got a little bit frustrated with him and why Jacques Vaughn made a bad decision to start DeAndre Jordan over him, despite the fact uh. that Jarrett even, even with those tendencies was better than DeAndre. Um, but I, I think that, with Jarrett, like he just improved so much around just his technical craft and the way that he thinks about the game. It's still Evan, though, that unlocks everything that they do defensively. Like that—that's the marginal difference. He is the guy that makes things work for them in terms of playing as big as they want to. And I would think they continue to play big again for a lot of minutes because I would think that like Dean Wade is going to play a lot. At, the three i would think that like they run out some evan mobley kevin love jared allen lineups from time to time like they're gonna do weird things they like to play big evan's the guy that unlocks it and allows that which is why i think he's like the clear like all defense guy on the caps now yeah. you brought up the offense and if he shoots it i think it's like kind of curtains <laughs> i'm not gonna lie to you like it's more complicated than that i know that like you brought up all of the little stuff, the screening, the ability to kind of process the game in terms of cutting. Even I think there's room for improvement on, uh, and look, you're probably right to care more about that stuff because he's not going to have the ball in his hands, even potentially as much as he did last year with Donovan Mitchell entering the fray. Right. And with Karis Levert being there for a full season and them eventually, hopefully getting Ricky Rubio back, who is really, really valuable for them, uh, over the course of, you know, the first half of last season before he tore his ACL. I wonder if he has the ball in his his hands as much, but like if he's a threat with the ball in his hands, even it just, it, it really unlocks so much of their offense. Like if teams don't have to collapse or teams can't, feel like they can collapse down in the paint when Donovan drives, when Darius drives, but particularly when Donovan drives, because Darius is such a lights out three point shooter from 25, 28 feet away from uh if they feel like Evan is in the corner and he's going to knock down a three, if they feel like, you know, there's even like a little pick and pop action. I mean, it's wild. You know what I mean? There is so, yeah. so, so much to do here
1: yeah I mean that's what's so enticing because like he already has the handle at his size and the fluidity to 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 attack on drives, and even if he didn't like he gets to the rim in two strides like it's it's insane like if he catches the ball in the corner, even if somebody's sagging off of him, okay, if you take a half step in the wrong direction, he's just face cutting you and he's he's dunking like it's it's kind of ridiculous yep. um but the i mean the passing ability already i think there was a stretch I wrote about this last year when um I'm trying to remember who was out. I think it was when Darius was out. So they ran a ton of the offense through him. Obviously, his efficiency tanked. Like, I think he was like two percentage points below league average true shooting. Boo-hoo, I don't care. Um, like he did a ton of stuff. Like, there was a game against Detroit where I think he took 20, 20 shots right about. Did a ton Great. of stuff with love it. just with his exactly. Like, that's the kind of stuff that you love to see. And Explore I think the me, studio space. What, Great. what made it so enticing and exciting to me is like there was no like there wasn't any kind of like barrier to that level of aggression. And I think that's one of the things that was frustrating about Evans uh, draft year was ever, like just because he's really quiet and he's not a super demonstrative player on court. Um, like there's a tendency to say that he's not aggressive and stuff. And I think that's just, that runs counter to how he plays basketball. Um, so I think that it's on the table for him. It might not happen this year, but I think it's coming and I'm just, Like, I think I'm very much on the trend of looking at him and Kate and just saying, they're going to be all time greats. Like that's kind of where I'm at with their trajectories already. Um, And I just don't, I can't put a cap on what he's going to do.
0: Yeah. And you know what? Like, here's the other thing too. You know, I, I kind of was talking about what it looks like when all of the starters are out there, right? Like, you know, there are going to be minutes where Evan doesn't play with Jarrett and where Evan only plays with one of Donovan and, Darius, right? And he's going to get more opportunity with the ball in his hands. I think that's what I would like to see more. Mm -hmm. Like in the moments where one of Darius and Donovan are on the court, give Evan just a little bit more leeway to like kind of, you know, grab and go on the break and try and initiate offense that way. Like maybe, maybe you run like a very quick like action where he's sprinting up the court and then tries to find Darius Garland as a trailer or something weird like that, like on a dribble handoff, right? Like do in like with Darius, like it can be finding Darius as a trailer, 30 feet away from the basket and just pulling up from three. Right. Like if that's the kind of stuff that I think could be really, really hard to defend. I I don't know. I I think you're right on Evan. I think you're hundred percent right on Evan. Uh, I, I would so do you think, you think Evan is an all-star this year? Is kind of
1: possible. Yeah. I look at this team and I think it's going to be interesting just to see how things play out um, with the rest of the big room. It is something I have to do in my head, but I think like, yeah, I think he's going to take that jump.
0: Interesting. Okay. I, I dig it. I'm with it. Yeah. Like I, I, I was just, I, just, I wonder if him. the counting numbers are as good. Yeah, you know what I mean? Just because like Don- Donovan's there.
1: It could definitely be a dependent on, on defense year, um, like for me, I mean, I thought he should have made all defense last year. I'm still salty that he didn't, but, um, like I think it's just kind of a guarantee for me this year that he's going to make it. Um, which sounds like asinine to say it like that, but I mean, just with how good he was already last year, it, yeah.
0: Like just, I know what you're saying. Like in it, my mind, I yeah. thought the same thing, and I had this conversation out loud on the podcast with Cole, uh, Cole Huff, and I was like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like no brainer, like all defense. He's twenty five to one to win defense player of the year. Like, is that good? And then I went through historically, and I was like, shit, it does tend to be like year four when these guys do it. Maybe he is ahead of the curve, and he is ahead of the curve, like no question. But like, how far? That's my question. Like, how far ahead of the defensive aging curve is he? Uh, he's pretty far, but I, I don't know. It's if he makes all defense year two, like we're talking about one of the 10 best defenders of all time potentially like that that's that's the ballpark he's in if he does that
1: i'm so, there i don't know i honestly i'm there i i'll put I'll, I'll put it right now not to not to get like way too on my high horse but i think by by his fifth year in the league i think he's gonna be the best defensive player in the nba um i he's think trending towards that yeah. so i think it's not even that big of a thing to say but it's it's it's, it's on the way
0: yeah, and look like these accolades that I'm bringing up are like somewhat arbitrary, right? Like Tim Duncan never won Defensive Player of the Year, and Tim Duncan was the best defensive player in the league for a long time. Draymond mm-hmm. Green has won one Defensive Player of the Year award, and there's no more valuable playoff defender than Draymond Green, right? So, like, it's it, it's tricky. Um, last guy on my list, and I have like eight more guys on my list. <laughs> this is the problem? Uh, I don't. I'll t- I'll take. I'll take Pat Williams because, A, when he got back from injury last year, he was really good. Like, really, really good. There were multiple games in the playoffs where he had 20 points. He was really, really valuable. Kind of just looked a lot more comfortable. Looked like the game had slowed down for him, even though he's still very young. Like, he is, I think, 21. Like, returns 21 like right around the start of this season i'll look that up while i'm talking but like he is just such an enormous dude and i think that one thing about him when he was at florida state was i don't want to say he was maybe like he was heavy is the best way to put it a little bit heavier on his feet a little bit heavier uh just in terms of the way that like he operated I don't want to say that has gone away totally because I don't think it has, but I think he has like leaned out and gotten into like
1: really interesting. Like, I I think this is something that I've tried to think about more in terms of like looking at athleticism, especially functional athleticism. He reminds me a ton of his movements in Jeff green. Like you see a lot of things that he does that are like, that's a small forward. And then there are other movements where like, that's a four. And like, I think uh, I totally agree with you. He shed some of that last year. There's still like moments where, um, it's more like his athleticism comes in bursts rather than being like a consistent thing. Um, yeah. Sorry. Those a very random tangent, but I was thinking about that.
0: No, I, I think you're right. No, you're hundred percent right. Like his athleticism is one of the hardest things, but the thing that is different between him and Jeff is like his shoulders are so fucking yes. big that when he hits someone, he moves them. Like Jeff green is strong. And like Jeff green has like played in the NBA for 15 years and has been like, he's carved out like a good career, even though it wasn't what people wanted out of a top five pick. Like, when Pat Williams hits you, like, in a mismatch, you are going backward. He, even with like having gotten into better shape, he is a legit like mismatch guy. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Jeff Green was ever like a true mismatch yeah, guy definitely. in a way
1: that, like, interesting too, because he never had like those wide shoulders like Pat does. Like, he's always been like a little narrow. Yeah. Little, um, yeah. No. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like I, especially too, like you're talking about with Pat, like his core strength is kind of ridiculous too. Like, I, I mean, yes. so seeing Pat in person, he, those are, he's got some of the biggest quads I think I've ever seen on a human being. Um, he's
0: just huge. Like yeah. it, he's six foot seven. Like he, he's like almost like a two hundred and like twenty pound, like tight end, almost like it yeah. looks, it's, It's weird, but like he moves better than like a tight, like not to say like tight ends aren't athletic, but like he moves more functionally like on an NBA court than like a tight end would. Like you remember watching, like you might be a little bit too young for this, but like, do you remember watching Antonio Gates at Kent State? Like, uh,
1: I remember watching Antonio Gates with the Chargers, but yeah, no, not Kent State. Yeah,
0: like when you watch Antonio Antonio Gates was like fucking awesome at Kent State as a basketball player. Um, and I have like, you know, disaster memories of watching that uh, NCAA tournament run uh, being a Pitt fan. But like it's uh, you watched fucking Antonio Gates and it was just like, oh, my God, this guy is huge. You can see how he'd be a football player. Pat Williams has like a lot of that strength stuff, but he moves more functionally and flexibly. Flexibly, I think that's a word than like a uh, a guy like a Antonio Gates does. Like he, he can actually like kind of move around. It, it, I don't like bringing up Kawhi with anyone, but it's probably the closest thing, just physically, that I've seen to Kawhi. I don't think that the skill development is ever going to be what Kawhi's was because Kawhi is just fucking crazy in terms of work and in the way he's like improved the shot he's become one of the most lethal shooters in the league after being like a total liability pre-draft as a shooter but it's similar in the way that he just like moves people i'm glad you brought up the quads because like it's both the shoulders and the lower body strength like yeah he just moves dudes and i think that the Bulls are going to need a little bit more of that this year. Like I, with Lonzo being out for however long Lonzo is going to be out for, I would imagine that like, yeah, you see Caruso play some point, but also you probably see like quite a bit of like Zach Levine trying to initiate offense here and there, mm-hmm. as opposed to like f- focusing on scoring as much as we've seen Zach Levine focus on scoring, um, because he's an incredible scorer, but like, for their offense to work, they need somebody that can get like DeMar the ball in the right spot. They can get Voos Vooch like the ball in the right spot. Like I feel like if he moves to more of like a playmaking, you know, ideal, it opens up a lot for Pat to be able to like, you know, just kind of create mismatches and be like a screener, like one, four screener. Like they could, like they played small a lot with DeMar at the four last year because Pat was mm-hmm. out. I wonder if they could play bigger with guys like Zach Levine playing the one and like almost, you know, Caruso playing the two, I guess. And then Damar and Pat and you could run Pat is like the screener and then, you know, Vooch is like the corner spacer a decent amount and get a ton of like really fun mismatch opportunities for Pat.
1: Yeah. So my biggest thing with Pat that I want to see this year, obviously just more aggression within the offense. I think he was put in a tough place, you know, just the way that things worked out last year. And I totally agree with you with seeing more of that aggression down the stretch when he did come back. It's just can his hips get a a little bit more loosened up because I think that's his biggest thing for me right now. Um, That's like, because like everything in terms of the strength, um, the physicality, I totally agree with the Kawhi aspect, but it's just the changing directions is just, Uh, Is he's gotten better at it since he was at Florida State, but it's still like such an issue with the second that he gets hit with any kind of hesitation or crossover that goes into a new (laughs) direction. He's
0: scrambling. That's why, like, so we have a a question here from Gregory Mm -hmm. Castillo in the comments on YouTube asking, Do you see Pat as that level of defender? Uh, I don't right now for exactly what Mark is saying here.
1: Yeah. And I think, well, that's part of what will be interesting with this year because. Um, like they're going to have to, I think that they, again, like they can be a quality defense, uh, scheme wise. And a lot of it's going to be obviously having to play ice doing a lot of stuff with, with Vooch closer to the level and just trying to use their size to really thwart things. Um, but again, like I think Pat taking that next step, hopefully, um, and having unlocked maybe some more flexibility, I think would be really huge for them.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I think that's look, I I haven't really given like a number on what I think Pat's going to do. Right. Like I would say like 15 to 16 points a game, maybe five rebounds and a couple of assists. Like, I I think that would be a breakout for him. Maybe, maybe it's like 17 points per game, something like that. Um, the, the, I didn't, I haven't asked you this yet, but like we did this on prospect wars with spins and I, would you take him or Keegan Murray long-term knowing that Keegan is like a year older?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um,
0: both Number four overall picks, both guys that oh, like tough. people had some questions about going number four. That's a fun, yeah.
1: One. I think, and this is not meant as a detriment to uh to Pat, but I think I would probably take Keegan just because like what Keegan does as a shooter is kind of nutty to me. Um, and he's so good at impacting the game without having the ball in his hands, too. Um, like that, that, that was part of what made him such not saying easy to project to the next hole would be the wrong way to put it, but, like, I think I was just always comfortable with saying Keegan's going to be a good NBA player just because, I mean, he's going to be one of the best offensive rebounders at his position. He's going to be really good cutting and moving within the flow of the offense, and I'm not quite there with Pat yet. That's, like, what's – I mean, because the Bulls are – they're just so tough because especially, like, if he's not going to be a player who's able to find his own offense within an offense that is pretty isolation-heavy at times – Um it's just gonna be funky, but I I definitely am there with you in terms of in in terms of him
0: taking that leap. Okay. I agree with you. I'd take Egan for what it's worth as well. I kind of said that on Prospect Wars. It's close, but I would take Egan. Um okay. You're up with the last breakout player on your list. And look, like we'll do like a couple minutes at the end on other guys we can talk
1: about. Good. Um my last breakout guy. Is not the wolf that most people are going to take. It is not Jaden McDaniels. I'm taking Jalen Noel. Um, I think that we already saw some play from Jalen Noel last year that made me i I loved everything Chris Finch did last year. But the one thing I did not like was minimizing Jalen Noel's role. And I think part of it was just because they had so they had so many guys that were I, th- I mean he really blew up because Pat Bev was out if I remember correctly. Um, when he had that stretch right before the All Star break, it was either Pap or was out. I can't remember, but this team really needs to improve their rim offense in general this year. Like they have so much is coming from being a three point reliant team, and I think that really hurt them in the playoffs when they played against the Grizzlies. Like their team, if you can really shut down um any of their stuff that's getting downhill, and especially too, like they're a sneakily terrible screening team, and that'll change with Gobert. But like, cat is such a bad screener at his size. Like, I, it's but one. Of it's my all slips.
0: Favorites. Like that. That's the whole yeah. thing. Like he's every. Yeah, everything, everything
1: slips and just yeah. But I think when I look at Jalen, like he is pretty much the only guy on the roster who I think you can say is a true not not even just three level scorer because I think that can be thrown around too much. Uh, and it obviously depends. Like his shot was really good last year, but is that going to stay the same? Because there have been some variances in it. Um, but he's somebody who has like the pace and the tempo the athleticism to hit all three levels is a really good craft score around the rim. And more importantly, he just gets there. Um, but then he's also a good enough playmaker to really, at least as a pick and roll read guy, like he's going to hit the corners if they're open. Um, he has some manipulation to his game. And I really believe in him with a roller, like that's who I'm most excited to see play with Gobert. Like, obviously, D'Lo, I think with Gobert is going to be essential. But I think, especially in bench lineups, when you can see Jalen Noel hopefully take over that role as more of the backup point guard, Um, even though he's not, he's he's more of a combo than a true point guard. But like, I think that they really need that blend of having the ability to get to the rim uh, with a ball handler, not just through dives and and cuts because it's just hard to live off that especially in the playoffs um and i believe yeah and like
0: for as much as yeah as much as we get excited about like anthony edwards being like this power driver he doesn't do it all that often exactly and i don't think
1: that's going to change this year because that's that's always been ant so it's like i just don't know that it's going to change but
0: yeah not to be like Ant's obviously very good but yeah, we we fucking love Anthony Edwards here. It's you know, other than some of the comments he makes that are disgusting. Mm-hmm. But, like, we love Anthony Edwards on the court. Uh, he is also a guy that tends to step back a little bit more than you want and doesn't like use the full force of his power athleticism uh, in the way that you would hope. Jalen Noel like if you, uh, do, how much do you remember about Jalen Noel at Washington because that would have been like 2018 2019 so that's before I now I was even before I like really, right, that, that's, so that's before I, I was
1: covering basketball but that's also before I like you know was really like getting into scouting too um so I do not remember him from UW but I have talked to people who said that they were they were fans of him at UW
0: so what he was I, I also liked him at Washington I think I had him at like 40 on my board mm-hmm. something like that like right around that range um he was more of a mid range gunner. Like, that was his whole thing. Like, he was like a mid range assassin at Washington. And then his second year, when he won Paxwell Player of the Year, he kind of expanded out. It wasn't super high volume from three, but he hit like 40% from three. And then the next year, he went into the G League after I think he got drafted pretty late by the wolves if i remember correctly i don't think he was undrafted yeah he went 43rd overall so he gets drafted in the second round by the wolves and they put him in iowa if my memory serves because i think that was the g league team at the time um so he goes to iowa and he hits threes at volume like i think he hit like 45% 45% on like eight threes a game or something like that. I'll look up the number here in a minute. But like, it was like, wait, like what, what did Jalen Noel do? Like, has he become like an actual volume three point shooter? And then the second year it was like, oh wait, like now he's adjusted into like being more of an attack oriented player. And then last year it was like, oh wait, no, he's like just slashing now. Like it's like a Jordan pool kind of thing where when you watch Jordan pool at Michigan, it was all threes, and it was all like perimeter based stuff, and then really improved his craft as a ball handler, and just started getting all the way to the basket, and like was a somewhat below the rim finisher, but like creative in a way finisher too. Like, mm-hmm. and he's really. Strong it, it's too, been a like, weird. Using, like bump offs and stuff. Yeah, yeah, he's always had really good balance, which is why I think he like operated so often in the mid range as a mm-hmm. scorer at Washington. Like his balance has always been really, really high level, which has allowed him, I think, to transition that into being like such a threatening ball handler a lot of the time. I, I love Jalen Noel. I'm so glad you brought up Jalen Noel. He's not really someone I thought about for this. Um, and like that's on me. <laughs> I kind of love Jalen. Um, yeah, interesting. It's been an interesting trajectory for Jalen, I would say, because if he is like a thirty, you you said like he's like you don't want to say three level scorer lightly. If he like kind of puts together all of the things we've seen throughout like the disparate parts of his career, so like mid range assassin at Washington, three point gunner in the G League, and then last year like guy who puts pressure on the basket more often. There are. There's a lot there that actually like could be real three level scorer in the way that you're kind of envisioning.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think if he's able to like if the shot because I mean what what made it impressive, like he was good as a catch and shoot player, he was doing stuff off the dribble really well. Um, if he's yeah. able to do that in, in similar volume this coming year uh and is able to just i think obviously the defense needs to tighten up i think that was why he mostly got crunched out of the rotation last year he's um, never really been good that, on that yeah, end either for what it's worth <laughs> and i think that there's room for it to at least improve like marginally at least so he can be you know closer yeah. to being at least like a slightly below neutral defender instead of being like a pretty bad defender um and it's not like awful but like it especially with how aggressive they played last mm-hmm. year like it needed to be better um, So I'm interested he's, to see what happens like this. Too, but he's somebody <laughs> I would bet on because I just like having guys who are capable of um, scoring like that and yeah. being a real playmaker, too. Like that's like not that he's going to I wouldn't necessarily say that he's going to become a starter in the NBA. But I think if he's able to really continue developing a shot out the way that it has, like, yeah, that's a guy that's going to get paid close to starter money. So I'm interested. And to see that's
0: the out. big thing that I was going to bring up. You brought yeah. up getting paid. You're betting on contract. You're Jalen Noel. Yeah, I think it's a good Which bet. Pretty good bet, I think, because he has not gotten paid a lot yet, uh, and he will get paid, I think, at the end of this season. Okay, so if the, let's kind of run through some other names that we had cool. on our longer lists, because I know both of I had long, both you and I had longer lists, um, and we have like ten minutes here until the Scoot Vic game starts, and I don't want to go past cool. that. No um, The guy that I think I would have bet on you... I would have bet on you having two guys on your list before we did this. Um, Maybe three, because Wendell Carter was interesting. I I thought you might have thought Wendell Carter broke out last year uh, Mm -hmm. and that you would have put Jalen Suggs on your list. So I didn't put Suggs on mine. And I didn't put Precious on my list either, because I thought you... Precious was my fourth
1: guy. I almost brought up Precious, and it was hard not to, because I... And especially it's wild seeing who he was at Memphis to where he's at now. Like it's still very much like same player, but just the way that things are starting to play out. Like I think the shooting is the way
0: Toronto has developed him in a big way in Miami to an extent as well. Like two Mm -hmm. of the best developmental situations in the NBA.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, as much as the offense gets pointed out, like him being, I I think, yeah, he shot 39.2%, almost four per game after the all-star break last year. But like um, a friend of mine, really good, reporter up in toronto samson folk who covers the raptors wrote a really good piece on just how freaking impressive his defense was like he is the answer for them at big for the most part and i think him continuing c- continuing to grow as he is offensively like yeah i'm there i'm i'm excited for this year for him
0: yeah people bring up the idea of jacob pirtle for them a lot and i've done it previously uh i don't really think they need him it's kind of where i'm at on it like it wouldn't hurt to get jacob Purtle. he'd be valuable but I think Precious is actually the answer for them at the five, especially with given how they want to play. He's super switchable. He's long. He does protect the rim at a pretty high level. Uh, you know, defensive player of the year in conference or no, the AAC when he was there, that wasn't conference USA. My brain just broke there for a second. Um, defensive player of the year in the AAC for a reason has transitioned that into being an effective defender at Miami. Just It felt like in Miami, it was purely just, I'm athletic. I'm going to run around. I'm going to switch. I'm going to be energetic. Last year, it felt like there was like a method to the madness in a way, right? Where Mm -hmm. still brought the energy, still brought the motor, but seemed to diagnose things just a little bit quicker defensively uh, at a high level. I know that like people love to talk about like all defense for Scotty Barnes this year. Precious is the guy that like, if there's going to be a leap from one of their super young guys, It's going to be Precious, I think, that would go all defense, not Scotty. And that's not like a, you know, a slight at Scotty. Scotty is great. It's more that I think Precious is more important to what they do defensively and OG, obviously, like OG is going to get the tough matchups more than Scotty is defensively. Um, I I think that those two guys will allow Scotty to flourish more offensively, uh, and just kind of be able to wreak havoc, uh, with his length defensively. Uh, it's going to be fun.
1: Yeah. No, definitely. Um, yeah, I'm, 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 I, I, the, the Raptors are just going to be sort of wild to me. And even like you mentioned too, on hitting on, uh, like them not needing going to go after Jakob, I I'm planning on doing something on like potential impact rookies around the league. I think Coloco is going to play a decent amount for them. Like I, he's really raw, Maybe. obviously like offensively. Um, but He's he does good stuff defensively. I think, like in terms of just having somebody like catching the ball, one thing, uh, but having somebody who can be like he he fits a lot of what they want to do. Um, <laughs> he does. So I'm interested yeah. to see what that looks like. Um, yeah, I'll run through some of my guys real quick. Uh, yeah, I thought about Danny Avdia. Um, I'm just not there. I went back and I watched this stuff from Eurobasket again today because it, he was at the top of my mind. Part of it is like the Washington Wizards are just I. That whole team is so weird to me, Um, but with him, like everything's still so left hand uh, inept. Like everything is right handed, finishes, passing, dribbling. Um, I just, I mean, like he did some really cool stuff with taking shots off the dribble at EuroBasket, but it wasn't at a super high level. Like it was good, but. That's not stuff that he's going to take in it, with yeah. the Wizards. I don't.
0: I don't think he oh, can I do just, that in, in yeah. NBA games.
1: Like, yeah. I think he's going to keep getting better, but I just still, I still think there's a real ceiling to him becoming somebody who's a real secondary ball handler um, in a way that's going to be meaningful. Um, I thought about Onyeka ok- Um I feel like he's just kind of obvious at this point too, because like he's going to be.
0: Yeah, be- I just worry about minutes as much as anything. Yeah. Like, I minutes think he'll work his way into them, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Like. They're going to play John Collins at the five occasionally, right? Like you're going to play Clint Capella at the five. I don't know. I just worry about minutes. Like if I was them, I'd probably just move Clint. But like for what and where? I don't know. Yeah,
1: Yeah. no, exactly. It makes it funky. Um, Who else do I have? As I always have every year, PJ Washington. uh, More sparked on just because – Steve Clifford has been like really exuberant talking about PJ Washington, which like Steve is not somebody who's just going to talk out of his ass about a player. So, um, yeah. that makes me excited because I've really liked PJ's game for a while. Um, and I'm interested to see how he looks like. That's, I mean, that's another thing to bring up. Like, what does this roster look like with Steve Clifford? Like, this is not a Steve Clifford roster at all. Um, Bismack is not there for the first time in Steve Clifford's career. What does that mean? So, uh, yeah, um, and then the last guy... Oh, I Steve, have...
0: Steve just hold on. Let's oh, pause okay. on PJ real quick because PJ was my fifth guy um, oh, okay. behind Precious. Like, Precious would have been four. I didn't pick P- Precious because I thought you were going to pick him. Mm-hmm. And then PJ was the fifth guy. Uh, 100% Steve Clifford is just talking about him like crazy. Real roll opens up because of the terrible, awful Miles Bridges allegations. And I just don't know what that roster looks like enough to where i could like fully invest in it you know yeah. what i mean like yeah, no, I what you're I, and it's not a, it's not a steve clifford roster steve clifford is saying they're gonna play up tempo and like i guess yeah, to exactly. some extent with Lamelo, you have to play up tempo but steve clifford has never finished like in the top half of the league in pace i don't i don't know it feels yeah. weird right it's
1: very wonky um yeah i agree and i but part of the reason i I do get excited about it though is like i just think about all the forwards who have like kind of weird combo forwards who have gotten good under steve like marvin williams had the best years of his career playing under steve clifford part of that is just like marvin had been around for a while too but uh like as much as mkg never worked out because of health reasons like he became a pretty interesting player before some of the late late injuries really sapped him of his athleticism Mm -hmm. um I don't know. I just think that there's more there with PJ, and I'm interested to see what it looks like. Um,
0: All right. You, you mentioned that you wanted to get to a couple other guys.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Last guy I would hit on is probably Zeke Najee. Uh, I know Zeke's gotten really good yeah. stuff from Mike Malone. Um, yeah. And he is. I, I, he was same thing with with talking about uh, Onyeka. Like I just don't know what minutes look like for him. They have Aaron Gordon. MPJ's back. Um, Jeff Green is still going to be playing, even though he was – he was weird for me last year uh but like that whole team there's just a lot of uh kind of paths that make it difficult for me to see him playing a ton at least in a way that's gonna make him a quote unquote breakout player but I do think he's somebody i'm I'm interested in especially like he shot pretty well last year um i I still don't see him as the switch big that they're trying to make him into um Either but he does do some things that are interesting so I, I'll be interested in keeping tabs but um I'm not quite there yet.
0: Yeah, like every single year a fan base becomes the internet, like, you know, like the meme where it's like, this is going to make me the Joker. Like every year a fan base becomes the Joker because DeAndre Jordan plays 17 minutes a game. This year it's the Nuggets. (laughs) And look, I would hope that Zeke can earn those minutes over DeAndre, but we have yet to see many examples of coaches being able to resist the pool of playing Deandre Jordan. And I am skeptical that Mike Malone will be one of them. I guess is what I would say.
1: Yeah. I'm going to agree with that. Seeing him play last night was, Oh boy, that was awful. Um,
0: I watched a bit of that game and I had some of the similar concerns that you do. Yeah, Uh, And another guy that I thought you would pick just knowing, you know, where you write and everything, I thought you would have Isaiah Jackson on your list. No, like uh, maybe I
1: maybe I I don't I try to be unbiased with him, but it's just he's so raw, man. Like, yes. and I yeah. it's tough too because um like not that I I wouldn't say I've gotten lower on him. Like he does a lot of things I'm really interested in, but he's already he went from being somebody who looked like a really interesting um guy at the four. Like if you can really mold out his shooting. Um and try and work yeah, in some I'm of the like passing that. flashes, yeah. but they've already pretty much just thrown that to the wind. And he's going to be the backup five this year. So like, I think yeah. he's interesting. Obviously, like really incredible athlete, but he's uh, his best defensive scheme right now is switching because he's so lost playing in space most of the time. And it's gonna—I mean—it takes time for that stuff to come along. But I just—he's like—he's in the Bruno Caboclo camp right now. Right now for me, like he's—he's a, he's a little bit of, of yeah. some time being away for me
0: yeah I, I don't know that i would go that far where he's well, I a mean, like, like
1: year away from being a year away like not I would, yeah he, he's yeah, yeah. better prospect wise but yeah you get what i'm saying
0: yeah, yeah yeah like it's interesting because i would assume they're gonna have to trade miles turner at some point right like yeah. you gotta this is the year where they have to do it and that is gonna open up real minutes there's no reason for them not to just give him 30 minutes a night um once they move miles turner so, and like, I do like him more than I like the rest of their bigs upside wise, like Jalen Smith, I guess like, you know, Terry Taylor is a strange big sort of like, <laughs> I I guess I would consider him a yeah. big, but um, I do like Isaiah Jackson's upside a little bit more than Terry's long term. Um, so there's no reason to give him like less than 28 minutes a night if he can stay on the court in terms of foul trouble. I really think that like Tyrese is just gonna force feed him lobs all day yeah. every day. <laughs> it's just gonna be like, okay, there's another 18 point game for Isaiah Jackson because he got eight lobs from Tyrese Halliburton and ran the court once out in transition <laughs> like yeah. I-, I think that points like I think the counting number is gonna be great you're a hundred percent right like I mean Rick Carlisle has his work cut out for him in terms of like the defensive awareness, but he has the tools. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about Isaiah Jackson. And I, I know that like Caitlin Cooper is like cautiously optimistic about Isaiah Jackson is like the way to put it. And I trust Caitlin with uh, everything when it comes to basketball as everyone should. She's wonderful. Yeah. So. Um, I will say <laughs> I kind of made this case on the last podcast uh, or two podcasts ago. I think there's like a non-zero chance Marvin Bagley's really good this year.
1: (laughs) I, you know, I had him, I had his name written down. I didn't end up bringing him up, but I had his name written down. Um, It's possible, man. I, I will never give up on Marvin Bagley. Um, I part of, but I, so I went to Michigan state my first two years of school and I was sadly there when that team got their asses handed to them by the Duke team uh, in the championship classic to open the year. Um and Marvin was awesome. I remember watching that game and thinking like, that's the number one pick. Like obviously cause I'd yeah. never seen Luca before, but um, yeah, like I believe I still believe.
0: Marvin. Uh, Marvin is going to get a lot of open shots this year, given Detroit spacing Uh, like Boyan Bogdanovich is there. Sadiq Bay is there. Um, Alec Burks is going to be back at some point from injury. Like, they have the shooters to be able to surround their bigs with around the court. Uh, they're optimistic, it seems like, about Isaiah Stewart maybe shooting this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you could theoretically play big around, you know, Marvin Bagley at the four, Isaiah Stewart at the five. I think that probably doesn't work, but, you know, Dwayne Casey will probably try it at some point. Um, Killian Hayes, I've heard better things about the shooting for sure than what we've seen previously. So maybe if he can transition to an off ball role, that becomes interesting. Jaden Ivy can shoot off the catch. He's not a great pull-up shooter right now, but like, I think that if you give him an open three off the catch on like a second side action and you don't close out hard, like he can get you a little bit. Um, But all this is to say that like with Cade Cunningham as the lead ball handler, If you run one five actions with Cade and Bagley, Cade should be able to feed Marvin like six easy points a night. And from there, it's just like, what does Marvin do? Can Marvin maybe knock down a corner three here or there? If Marvin Bagley averaged 15 points a night, I wouldn't be surprised. Just purely from Cade, basically.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree.
0: (laughs) Okay, Mark, tell the people where they can find your work. Wait, 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 wait. We ask everyone here, what movies have you watched recently? What TV shows are you watching? What's going on?
1: Oh man, that's a good question. Uh, what have I watched recently? Um, I've, tr- I, okay, so I'm watching a million TV shows right now. Um, obviously Rings of Power, um, which I think I'm I've been five episodes.
0: I haven't watched the last still, episode still yet. was the
1: best one, so I will okay. say that. Um, I've probably been higher on it than I think most people have been. They've been pretty down on it, but like I am like... I mean, I grew up on that. I'm super in, into, yeah. like, the background everything, So I really enjoyed it. Um, Great British Bake Off. Obviously, that's my my change of pace show. Um, that new episodes every Friday. It. It's been fantastic. Um, really good for writing, too. Uh, and then what was the other show? I mean, obviously, House of the Dragon. I've been watching as well. Yeah. Um, I, I'm trying to think. I've definitely watched some random horror movies recently, uh, but not as many as I've like. <laughs>
0: You are you are speaking uh, speaking to the choir here on random horror movies. Did you see that? Nope? Is I have seen Nope. Nope is okay. great. Uh, so yeah, nope, nope was very good. It was probably my look. This is someone who thought like Us was pretty close to get out in terms of masterpiece. I thought Nope was probably like mm, a step down from yep. get out and us but i like a step down jordan peel is still better than 97% of like what's working in the horror industry right now um smile just came out here i need to see it, it that's yet, i'm hoping yet. to do that this weekend barbarian has not come out here yet so i have not seen that unfortunately um so basically I- i'm kind of working on these shitty like uh, you know, straight to streamer horror movies right yeah. now here that Laura and I watch every freaking day. It feels like because saw a very shitty horror movie horror recently. Actually,
1: I think about it. I watched a uh, Beast, the Idris Elba movie. That was yeah. horrendous, man. Like I was disappointed. I was very disappointed. Like I, I mean, the not even that it looked like amazing in, uh. In, in terms of what the trailers looked like, but like there was just like very little suspense. Like it wasn't really that terrifying. I, I mean, even then, like it was, yeah, that was, that was, a, that was a low point last week watching that.
0: Yeah. Didn't love that. Uh, I saw bodies, 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 which is like sort of a horror movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, not it's like a horror comedy uh the comedy aspects worked way better than the horror aspects of it i thought um rachel senate is just like going to take over the world i think she is amazing um i saw laura and i watched control which is this weird like one room horror movie that was not very good we watched devil's workshop which is just a very bad horror movie that nobody should watch um and then the other one that we watched this weekend was men, the Alex Garland movie. Uh, I did not like it. I understand. I will understand it. If people, if people think that it's interesting and like thematically intriguing, I thought it was a nightmare. I thought that like the gender politics of it was a disaster, which is like the whole point of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought like Alex Garland is an incredible visual artist who, paints like on a canvas almost with like film but like you could like stop any singular shot in men and it would literally be like a piece of art um it it looks beautiful i just thought that the movie was a not like giant piece of shit but like was just not very good um in terms of like the gender politics of it all it it did not work for me it's it's a movie like where alex garland is like looking at the camera going women (laughs) i get it i get it guys like i'm there on your side and it's just like no are you a dark comedy person at all
1: yeah i can do them okay if you have you ever seen wolf of snow hollow it's jim cummings yes yes that's oh god that's one of my favorite movies i've watched in the last year
0: (laughs) So good. Yeah. I watched it like the weekend it came out on streaming on Amazon. It was, it was perfect. It was so yeah, good. That's one of the best um, I've seen. Yeah. No, G- Jim Cummings is, I still haven't seen his new one from last year. What is it? Beta test, but, um, yeah, no, it's, uh, that, that was perfect. Uh, the other thing, look, I haven't watched a ton of movies since the last podcast, but the thing I've been watching is like the p- scandal in poker, uh, with, uh, Robbie and Garrett. And I've literally been watching like Matt Berkey and like the solve for Y crew literally break down all of her hands for like five hours at a time. Uh, go do that. It's incredible. <laughs> it's like honestly riveting weirdly to watch like this woman who I, I can't tell if she cheated or not. I-, I tend to trust like the people that, you know, have a certain level of expertise in poker. Cause I think they're all very like intelligent, high level logical people and they just can't and I can't really understand like I played po- I played poker a lot more when I was young online but like uh still like play occasionally and like I can't understand the play she made with Jack high I think it's like completely nonsensical and the more that you watch it the more you're like she had to have been cheating but like the you just watch her and like her man- mannerisms over like the 15 hours that she played at this like uh hustler casino and it was just like wait what is happening it's literally like a movie it's it's incredible stuff Uh, if you if anyone wants to look into cheating stuff like i know that cheating in like games like this like poker and chess is all the rage right now given the hans neiman allegations in chess uh the all everything involved with the like robbie lou and garrett adelstein stuff is like incredible to me and riveting
1: well yeah i need to check that out because i know absolutely nothing about that so it sounds interesting
0: If you know nothing about, you have to have like a level of like knowledge of poker to like get it totally. I think that like a lot of the people that like come into it without any knowledge of poker are like, wait, why, why do people think this woman is cheating? Like this is ridiculous. Like you're just attacking her. But like, if you know what's going on, it's like, maybe she cheated. Like there's, it's not. It's not a certainty and nobody should think it's a certainty, but like there's a real chance that she did. Um, okay. Mark, tell the people where they can find you. Tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on in your life. Yeah. Um, easiest
1: place to find me is just go on Twitter at MG underscore Schindler. Uh, I work kind of everywhere. So uh, best way is just connect with me on there. I always have my latest thing pinned at the top of my profile.
0: Um, really appreciate you having me on, man. This was fun. We'll have to do it again sometime. We will 100% do this again. That's Mark Schindler over there. I'm Sam Vicini over here. Uh, this has been the Game Theory Podcast. There's a chance I'm live on this channel in two hours again uh, for the Scoot Vic show. I don't know. It'll, it'll depend on kind of what that game looks like and if I think it's worthwhile. Okay. I think we're live. We're here. Post- Victor Wimbanyama and Scoot Henderson. I'm here with Ricky O'Donnell to talk. One of the most fun scouting evaluation experiences I think I've ever seen in my entire life. That was just everything that you could want and more from a game that was just like hastily put together to try and showcase the two best players uh, in the 2023 NBA draft. Scoot Henderson Dropped something in the vein of 28 points, eight assists. I don't have exact stats yet. I think that Victor Wembanyama had 37 points, five blocks. He made seven three-pointers. It was just, it was something that, uh, it went off in a way that I can't even imagine uh, the people who put this thing together could have hoped for. Ricky O'Donnell is here from SB Nation. Ricky, your thoughts. Please tell me. I know you were excited. I saw your tweets watching the game. I was just like, I got to get Ricky. Ricky will bring the noise here. Yeah, I just felt like,
2: you know, when it's a made-for-TV basketball event like this, where, you know, you have a pro team from France playing a G League Ignite team that has never played a game together this season, totally new roster, everything revamped for that program. To have this be the first game and for it to live up to the hype, to this level is just absolutely unbelievable this game was truly a blessing for basketball fans i mean sam me and you have been covering the draft you know for a long time at this point nobody cares about the draft in october but for like two hours this game was the hottest thing in the sports world and oh my god both of these guys just met the moment to such an incredible level Uh, Wembenyama. I mean, you hear all this hype that potentially the best prospect since LeBron, you hear that he measured seven foot seven, four barefoot, eight foot wingspan. We've all seen the clips of him hitting threes, but to see him do it in a game of this magnitude with so many eyeballs on him uh, against some pretty legit competition with a with a nice G League night squad was just ridiculous. Dude, seven three-pointers, five blocks. Sam, we've talked about how Weminyama is a historic prospect for you know a couple of years at this point. I just did a quick stat head search. Nobody in NBA history has ever hit seven threes and had five blocks in the same game. <laughs> Victor Weminyama just did this. He's 18 years old. I think it's the first time he's ever played <laughs> on American soil. He could not have lived up to the hype anymore. What we just saw was truly a personification of what could be I mean, Sam, I'm prone to hyperbole, but one of the greatest prospects ever. Like, if he reaches his ceiling, there is just no telling where this guy could end in terms of, like, uh, the pantheon of basketball players we've seen yeah. in the history of the game. I think and Henderson. Anderson. Dude, Scoot could not have been more impressive himself. Absolutely unbelievable. I mean, for him to just go toe-to-toe with Victor, try to challenge him uh, at the basket so many times, I thought his downhill driving ability absolutely lived up to the hype. His three-point shot looked a lot better. He just looked really smooth pulling into his mid-range shots too. And then in the first half, I'm like, all right, so Scoot is kind of reminding me of what he did last year, but like, this is like a great game. Like He's a scoring point guard, and he is getting buckets. His shot looked improved. Uh, I thought that, you know, Scoot was awesome in the first half. Then the second half, just the floor general stuff, I thought, really started to crystallize. He was reading the floor a lot better, uh, getting pressure downhill and then kicking out to the perimeter for open looks. I could not have been more impressed with Scoot. I mean, he legitimately played a perfect game, and he is not the headliner of this one because what Wambanyama did was... Historic, insane, mind blowing. And Sam, I'm still trying to like pick up the pieces of my brain that basically fell out of my head watching those two dudes go at it tonight.
0: I think that I don't want to like lose track of Scoot, because I, I want to do like the- my own Scoot thing, because that was unbelievable, right? What we saw Scoot Henderson do tonight was something special. Uh but I, I do want to start on Vic. I've said this throughout the early part of the draft process where there's a difference between novel and good. And I think that sometimes the idea of novelty can be overrated, like things that we haven't seen before, things that are new, things that are different. Right. And I thought that at times last season in EuroLeague, Vic's game offensively, at the very least, was more novel than good if that makes sense. Right, Ricky? Absolutely. So the way he is played early in the season and on this channel, on the podcast, like you can go back and you can listen to Adam and I talk about the way that Vic has come out and played early this season. It was personified perfectly within this game. He is so much more polished as a shooter In terms of his shot prep, you look at just how balanced he is. You look at the way that he can get his feet down and just get up into the shot. It's straight up and down. There's no swaying. There's no like natural fade on the shot. You watch seven-footers sometimes. They can have that like kind of natural fade, and it can look kind of ugly. You look at his driving ability. He's not like the world's best ball handler, but there was that great play at the beginning of this game where he just grabs a rebound, brings it down the court, plays point basically. And then like does a step through from 18 feet away. Like, again, these are things that are novel. A guy that is seven foot five with an eight foot wingspan shooting over the top off of movement, off of step backs. It's something we haven't seen before, but I think that what Vic is proving throughout the early part of the season, improved particularly today in this game offensively, is that it's no longer just novel. It, it's no longer like he is a theoretical prospect. It, it, it's it's immediate. He is this good right now. Uh he is a he has developed the polish of his game right now. I mean, you look at the way that he's just like getting separation on the step back. Like he did like a left-to-right crossover, right to left crossover, like between the legs step back at one point to get free. And it's just like, he created six goddamn feet of separation. And oh, by the way, his release point is basically at like the 10 foot high mark because he is seven foot tall with an eight foot standing or an eight foot wingspan. So you can't bother him. And you saw it on the play where he got the like post duck in against Eric Mika, where he just like, kind of jab steps, rips through jab steps, and then takes like a little pound dribble into a step back and he just shoots over the top of him. Eric Mika's like 6'11". Like he's a big guy. And he just had no chance to even bother him. And it was like, he wasn't even there. That was, I don't think it can be overemphasized enough. I think that like outside of maybe like the Magic Bird game in like the 1970s that neither you nor I were alive for, I think that might have been the best prospect game of all time. Like, I I really do genuinely think that might have been the best prospect game that anyone has ever seen uh, outside of the Magic Bird game.
2: They were both so remarkable. And it's like, where do we even start with Vic? I guess the thing I'll say is that how many guys have we ever seen have his potential as a defensive anchor, rim protector probably like no one just based on his physical attributes right and certainly like i do think there were moments in this game where you saw that like when can still get so much better his technique is not oh, particularly yeah. disciplined uh you know my big question with him if i had to say like what's You know, Besides for the obvious injury risk issues, just with anyone that size, it's just like where's his sort of feel for the game at defensively? I thought sometimes he took maybe some reckless chances. Saw him diving on the floor, saw him contest a few shots, where he's leaving his feet where I really didn't think he was going to have a chance to get it. Of course, it's Victor Wembanyama, so he can almost get anything. uh, No matter where he's at on the floor, he can still challenge a shot. But his defensive upside... As an anchor or rim protector, and really someone who blankets the entire floor, we saw him playing at the level of the screen and in some possessions during this game uh, against Scoot Henderson. And then you combine that with an offensive skill set that is like seven foot five, Michael Porter Jr. I mean, he is a pure shooter. You talk about him releasing at about ten feet just with his length and his size. Dude, how about how much lift he gets out of his jumpers? You usually see a seven-footer not get a lot of lift on their jumper. Victor's legitimately rising and firing. There were a couple – so many amazing, mind-blowing moments in this game. But the back-to-back sequence he had early in the third quarter, I think, where he gets the ball in the corner in transition, looks back, takes one dribble, two steps backwards, and just rips a corner three. So just like the general – Yeah,
0: start the second half. Yeah.
2: To be yeah. able to like identify the corner three, calmly step into it during what is generally a chaotic situation in transition was super impressive. And then uh, he comes back on the next possession, it's either a little pick and pop or a flare screen, and he gets a four point play. A seven foot five <laughs> guy calmly stepping into a four point play, Sam, it's totally absurd. And I said during the game if Wembenyama was doing this stuff as a six-seven guy. Like this, comfortably yeah, bumping yeah. into jumping into step backs, and even like some of the ball handling ability. Like you said, like it's not incredible. Also, he's seven five, it's harder to handle the ball when you're tall. Uh, so, if he was doing this at six seven, dude, I would think that this is insanely impressive for an 18 year old. But he's seven five and he has an eight foot wingspan. So, just totally historic stuff from Victor. I mean, we can go on and on, but that was. That was so tantalizing, and that was, like, every single bit of hype that we've heard about this kid for as ridiculous as it's been. I, I wrote in a big thing uh, that I published in June that, like, you know, the best version of him is a player the game of basketball hasn't seen since, like, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Lou used yeah. entering UCLA at this stage. That's a ridiculous sentence to write. Sam, I felt like sort of guilty about that because Victor Omniam is 18 years old. It's not fair to say, yes, he's Lew cinder walking to UCLA. Dude, he, he could not have lived up to that hype anymore in this one game against the G League Ignite.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. And it, it's I'm glad you brought up the idea of room for growth. And, and I think that that is the ultimate reason why. Victor Wimbenyama will go number one ahead of Scoot. I'll be real with you. Like, I-, I think there's a real case that Scoot had a more effective game than Vic in this game, but it's just the idea of what Vic can be and how eminently fixable a lot of the issues are. Like, you saw one moment where Scoot like just totally turned the corner on Vic. And, like, Vic didn't really have any recourse, weirdly, to stop him. Like, he he just, like, didn't have the technique. The technique is not there yet for Vic in a very real way. Uh, He is still developing that defensively. I think he is still developing his ability to consistently, like, make an impact in drop coverage, for instance. Like, you saw there was a play near the end of the game where Scoot Henderson you know, ran an emptied out ball screen, uh, with F.A. Abigidi and comes around the ball screen on the left side of the floor to the middle of the court. Abigidi just rolls to the rim and Vic gets caught in no man's land. Right. But the thing is that his length is such a ridiculous deterrent and is such a marginal like impact tool that the play that like stands out to me defensively, like clear as day in my mind is the first block where Leonard Miller gets the ball, like at the top of the key and sees a cutter rolling to the basket. I forget who it was off the top of my head. I think it might've been John Jenkins. Maybe Uh, he hits John Jenkins, like right at the basket, but the pass is off by like, you know, half of a foot, right. Didn't really hit him like right in the pocket. Didn't really hit him where he needed to. And because of that, It just allowed that split second for Vic to get right back in the play, cover all of the ground. He was like at the top of the freaking foul line, cover all of the ground and just get right back in the play. If you make even the slightest execution error offensively when Vic is like 24, 25, let alone right now when he's 18, it's going to be so hard to score on a team that has a guy that's this big in the paint. (sighs)
2: Yeah. And just like my two cents on the number one overall pick thing is me and you can't predict the future, right? And neither can any bozo on Twitter. There is a totally legit chance that Scoot Henderson has a better NBA career than Victor Wembanyama. There's a chance that Amen Thompson has a better NBA career than Victor Wembanyama. We can't predict the future. Victor's certainly going to be an injury risk. Uh, There's other factors that could come into play that could potentially limit him down the line. Who knows? But there's just no way he doesn't go number one overall in basically any draft, like, ever, besides for, like, maybe LeBron. That's what we're talking about, based off what we saw today. You take the 7'5 guy who just hit 7'3s, who has all-time historic rim protector potential, and who, by the way, seems to play with a high motor, seems to be a pretty damn good passer when he gets the ball at the top of the key. Uh, yeah, there, there's definite room for improvement in terms of his technique. Uh, I think just like learning to play with more force. It's sort of weird for a seven-five guy to be exclusively living on the perimeter. Now he did have a couple of decent finishes around the rim, but like, that's going to be a thing. Yeah. is like, how do you get easier buckets when they're not lobs? He, he has a tendency yeah. to float on the perimeter, but guess what? He's a really, really good shooter. And, and, and I, will really good, I will say this.
0: I will say this if you watch some of the tape in France this year, he's doing a better job of like ducking in and finding mismatches. Like he's not going in there and like posting against bigs for the most part, or like rolling all the way to the rim against bigs. But when he gets a switch, he tends to recognize it and does tend to duck in and either try and seal or try and like get the ball, like in a post mismatch where he just like does that thing where he like, he shoots over the top and brings it up with like one hand and then like kind of flips it down. Uh, He's done a better job of that. Uh, he's just—it's—it's it's a great question. Like, if he stays healthy, like let, let's let's not talk about the like not fun stuff, right, with Vic, because I, I don't want to talk about like the potential for injury. It's a real factor. I—it's—it's it's something that we should all be very cognizant of. And if there's a reason he doesn't go number one, it'll be because of that. But. The thing is that, like, it's just draw, it's jaw dropping watching this. And, like, just from a skill perspective, Anthony, like, Anthony Davis, right, was considered the best prospect in many, many years. You're, you live in Chicago. You were around Anthony Davis in high school. We saw it at Kentucky. This is like, if, like, I think Anthony Davis is a better mover. I think he's a better, like, lateral athlete. I think he's more flexible, but, there, I don't think there's any way that a team would take Anthony Davis over Vic. We don't think, right?
2: He's also seven inches shorter than Wembenyama.
0: Yeah, I made that point recently, too. He's literally seven inches shorter than Vic, which is like the craziest thing on planet Earth to me. Like, his standing reach is over a foot shorter than Victor Uh And, like, Anthony Davis was fucking amazing. I think LeBron would have gone ahead of Vic, but, like... That's the that that's the that's the park we're in. Like for the a while difference? I've kind of pushed back on yeah, like I've kind of pushed back on the idea of like are we sure he's a better prospect than Zion? But I don't know, man. Like what we saw tonight, it's a little bit more translatable than Zion, just cause Zion is, you know, a developing shooter and shooting is the most valuable thing in the NBA. I, I don't know. It's gross. Yeah. I don't think anyone since LeBron goes ahead of Vic is where I'm at.
2: The height difference between Anthony Davis and Victor Wembanyama is the height difference between Dwayne Wade and Anthony Davis. So there's just like a little picture in your head. And I mean, if you're comparing him to Zion, well, Wembanyama's is clearly a way, 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 way better shooter and a way, 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 way yeah. better defender. So Zion's yeah. awesome. Of course. I love Zion. I want to put in a Zion MVP bet right here in my living room right now. I <laughs> think 25 to 1, have-
0: baby, at MGM.
2: That's right. Uh, and here, here's my two cents on this. I felt like coming into this game, the key word with Wembenyama was prospect. Because just a few years ago, me and you were watching tape of Luka Doncic on Real Madrid. And Luka was never so much of a prospect as he was just a player. Like, he was already such a finished product by the time he was 17 or 18 years old. I mean, that Eurobasket run, I'm thinking back to when he led Slovenia to gold, or to the title, that just looked like a fully formed basketball player at 18 years old. And Luka still has upside, too. There's no doubt we have not seen the best basketball of Luka Doncic's career. He was just so great at such a young age for when it's more like okay what this guy can become is so incredible and that's why today was so cool because for once it wasn't just like the flash plays I mean if he hit two threes people probably would have been falling all over themselves he hit seven and he was just confidently stepping into them he was finding other ways to score too. Some of the self creation ability. I mean, you don't see that at a seven footer, let alone a guy who's seven five. So, uh, Wembenyama, man. I mean, that was that was mind blowing. There's really no amount of hyperbole that feels like too much when discussing what we just saw from Victor Wembenyama. It was that impressive.
0: And, and let's let's move to Scoot now because I, I think that Scoot deserves an awful lot of praise for this game uh scoot did his best kermit wilts impression in this thing like he was out here he was talking an immense amount of trash it looked like from the opening tip as soon as he hit that like little pull up in the mid-range area uh it for the first bucket of the game like he was he was in like he was into it and was ready to go. And he was always going to be hyper engaged. This is who, who he, like, this is who Scoot Henderson is. This is who, uh, this is what he does, right? Uh, he is super competitive. He's an incredible athlete. He is awesome. He's such a great player. I love Scoot Henderson so much. Uh, and he's continued it the whole way. Like you, you brought up the idea of like, he spent the first half being a scorer. I completely agree with that. Like he came out and was like, I am coming out to get mine right now because that's what I need to do. I need to lead this team. I need to come out and just dominate this game. And when he did that, they were up 20 points. Like this G League Ignite destroyed them in the first half. And it was because of Scoot setting the tone, I think with his energy, his aggression, his confidence, just he he came out like he was the best player on the floor and he had no doubts that he was the best player on the floor. And, you know, based on where they are right now, there might be a case that he's the best player on the floor. Uh, his, his overall game tonight, I thought was absolutely spectacular. Uh, and that's before we get to the second half, when he showcased all of the playmaking chops, all the passing chops, uh, all of the pick and roll ball handling, all of the uh, decision-making that you could have wanted. Scoot Henderson is an absolutely elite prospect. And teams should not take lightly that, Like, it's going to be the race for number one. Teams are going to be tanking. The reason that this is such a valuable tanking year, given the way that lottery odds are now in terms of how flat they are, is because there are two number one overall quality picks in this class in both Scoot and Vic.
2: Beautifully said. Sam, last year, I was a wire-to-wire Apollo guy. And last year's draft was so fun because yeah, you, you could make yeah. a case for three or four different guys as being number one overall. And it didn't seem like Paolo was going to go number one until like an hour before he was actually drafted number one. But I was right. I was fully on the Paolo bandwagon. But I said while covering that draft that if Scoot Henderson was in that draft, Scoot would go number one. You could probably yeah. make the case that if it was Scoot – and Evan Mobley and Jalen Green and Cade Cunningham, that Scoot would at least get serious consideration for number one in that draft. I can't sit here and say he would have gone number one over Cade, but mm. it would have not been a no-brainer. He would have absolutely gotten serious consideration, and he might have gone number one over Cade. You can keep going through the drafts in recent history. I don't think he would have gone number one over Zion, and he shouldn't have gone number one over Luka. But the point is that Scoot Henderson, over the last, let's say, decade. You can probably make a case that he's comfortably a top 10 prospect of the last decade yeah, and potentially a top five prospect of the last decade. Potentially. Obviously, there's a lot of great talent to hit the league over that time frame, and we are a little biased by the recency of the performance we just saw from Scoot Henderson. But what I was so impressed with by Scoot, first of all, just such immense core strength and so much power, for that body. Like there's one thing to be like athletic and be able to attack the rim, but like he also has such a great center of gravity for a small guy that like he's going to be knocking guys off their spots, trying to challenge him at the rim quite often in the NBA. And you're really, he really already seems to have a grown man's body. I know Wembenyama got him on one, but like, if you just keep running that sequence, back again and again there's going to be times when scoot like gets into his body and can move him because he's that strong and he's that fast and that explosive when he gets downhill uh i was very impressed with the shooting and with the playmaking in the second half that was my big question with scoot and it's something that you know basically everyone's repeated who's watched him play it's like okay so when defenses go under him on the screen And like last year's Ignite roster just didn't have much shooting. So you could like, you know, cheat off Dyson Daniels. You could cheat off Marjan BoCamp. Okay, well, now you're just playing in packed paint with a six foot two guy. And even if you're super talented, it's just hard to win in those situations, right? And that's why I was so impressed with the shooting progression we saw out of Scoot today. And what is his season debut of year two at the Ignite? Again, amazing elevation on his jump shots from the mid range. So he's going to play bigger than that height, even as a pull-up shooter, because he's got long arms. What is he a six, eight, six, nine wingspan guy. And he gets quite a bit of lift on his three point on his, uh, on his pull-up shot attempts. And then the three point shot too, just like, looked so much more comfortable than last season for scoot. So, uh, And then I was impressed with the playmaking, too. Like, I don't know what his assist rate was last year off the top of my head, but I do know he averaged under four assists a game for the Ignite. Now, I do think part of that was that the roster construction didn't do him any favors. There was just no shooting on that Ignite squad. And Jason Hart just deserves a huge round of applause for, I think, putting together a much better veteran roster than what they had last year with Dawkins, with John Jenkins, who was on fire tonight. Uh, you got some guys who can legitimately space the floor and guys who opposing defenses have to pay attention to. And that's really how you maximize someone with Scoot's skill set because this is just your prototypical attacking downhill guard. And now, at this age and at this stage, when he can already show that he can beat an under in a pick and roll, to me that is is really impressive. And uh, I thought Scoot was phenomenal phenomenal in this game he would be a worthy number one overall pick whether he went number one or not in like any draft basically uh and to see him rise to the occasion as well when Wembanyama was so phenomenal i think you gotta love the mindset you gotta love the intensity the attitude and the intangibles from scoot henderson just as much as you love the physical ability
0: yeah and like the ability to stop start like that is incredible it's, it's, cell it's that he the f-
2: got Wembanyama on was insane
0: yeah, like, it, it's just really, really remarkable. I mean, you look at the way that, you know, he, he can change directions, he can change paces, he's a tight ball handler. It's just really, really ridiculous. Uh Every single thing that he does on the court is so controlled now like even last year there were moments where i thought he got a little bit out of control for his age he's always been very poised like you expect young guys to be uh you know a little bit out of control when they're point guards it it just kind of happens it's a natural growth process right uh he's always been a little bit more poised but this was different like this was i've shown up i know i'm that dude i'm coming out here And I'm taking, like, it felt like in this game, he was like, I am taking your spot. Like, Vic, I am coming out here to take your spot uh, as the number one overall pick. He wants it and he's super competitive. He very well could have a better career than Vic. Like, I think that's a real outcome here. Uh, The passing, the playmaking, all of it, uh, the body controls, finisher, the explosiveness, the length. The shooting ability that looks better, uh, I think that that ultimately is the key, but you know what? At the end of the day, you hit it like on the head. This is something that Adam and I have talked about on the pod a lot. He just needs to be able to beat an under so that teams can't just go under his ball screen by six feet, right? If he does that and keeps them honest in that way, it's going to be enough, I think. I think it will be enough for him to work. Uh, here, Here's just the, you know, I'm going to follow up here with two things before we get out of here. Cause I told you 20 minutes and we just got too excited talking about Vic. I think um, the, the first thing I'll ask you is what is your favorite spot that you would like to see Victor Wembanyama end up at based off of this game right now? Wow. What, I what team did, would you most want to see him go to? Yeah.
2: I, uh, I didn't think about this coming into it. So you're putting me on the spot. What team would I most want to see him on? Well, I think it would be pretty awesome to see him on the Pistons or the Magic. I think that both of like the rosters there would be cool. Um, man, he could just really fit anywhere, right? Like he doesn't need really a team specific fit. Yeah. So I don't really think it matters. Do you have a good one in your head? Convince me of it. Convince me of a team.
0: The one that I pointed out was I kind of want to see him with Chet. I want to see him and Chet together in Oklahoma City because they can both really handle the ball. They can both pass. They can both uh, shoot, obviously, for bigs at least, for seven-foot-tall centers. Uh, you know That's the standard I'm talking about here. Uh, but their defense, I mean, you put both of them together defensively, I think they can move well enough and they have enough length to where it would really just kind of cut off and bog down a whole lot of teams. Look, rebounding would be a question, but, you know, it's a give and take, right? Like, it's a give and take. NBA guys are so good that, like, you know, uh, I don't know. Rebounding's valuable. I can't really even – I can't make the case rebounding isn't valuable. It is. But, like, I think that that would be the most fun spot. You put him with Shea Gilgis alexander You put him with Josh Giddey. You put him with uh, Jalen Williams, Usman Jang, all those guys. And then particularly you put him with Chet Holmgren uh, and Poku, by the way, like you, you this is a Pokuism forward podcast. Uh, we're all about it. So you put him with those guys. I think that would be the most fun outcome. I don't know if it'd be the best outcome, but I think it'd be the most, most fun. Uh, and then scoot. What would be your answer off the top of your head? I got a
2: scoot. I got
0: a scoot answer for you. Give me Houston. <laughs> I love the idea be interesting.
2: of Jabari Smith and Jalen Green spacing the floor for him. I love Jalen Green. I think Jalen Green is phenomenal. Not totally sure if Jalen Green is the guy that you want with the ball in his hands every possession making decisions. I mean, maybe he will be that guy. I think he's awesome. Uh, His physical talent is absolutely out of this world. But a Jalen Green scoot backcourt or like maybe scoot could take on the tougher defensive assignment, Jalen could space the floor for his drives, and you got Jabari Smith there, and then you got another buzzsaw shot out of a cannon type of guy and Tari Eason. I think that would be ridiculous. And then you just got Shangun Fun. So give me Scoot to Houston.
0: I like that. Yeah, I like that a lot, actually. Now that you say that, that's a really fun one. Putting him and Jalen Green together would be really, really good. Uh, and then the last thing I want to follow up on here is just the rest of the prospects in this game, right? Uh, you know, the Ignite obviously has quite a few guys. I thought CeeDee Sissoko was probably the most impressive guy given his age. Uh, he had a couple of flashy plays. He had a really nice step back three. I thought he was pretty active defensively, got out in transition, had a really nice dunk. Uh you know, for someone who was playing low level like Spanish league basketball last year, uh and not to say the ACB is low level. He was playing at the lower level, uh, not in the ACB last year. I, I thought that he adjusted to what became a very competitive game at a really, really high level.
2: I thought City looked pretty good. I'm just interested to see like the core of this Ignite team, I don't think, like, super complements each other because I don't think yeah. they really have the spacing and shooting you need. But then they went out and signed so many good veterans who could space and shoot. Yeah. So I think this is just, like, a really interesting mix of guys. And I was really impressed with F.A. I mean, so was I. Not, he's yeah. not, like, the most tantalizing guy in terms of, like, being sort of in the rim runner, rim protector mold. But man, just as like an energy big with plus physical attributes, I thought he was he was really good. I liked what I saw out of him at Washington State last year. I was excited when he signed up for this Ignite team. And I think just like having a vertical spacer with Scoot and with, you know, some veteran shooters like Jenkins and Dawkins is going to be a nice spot for him to work himself into a first rounder this year. So just watching that game, it's a long season. The Ignite play 50 games this year. I'm going to say F.A. becomes a first-rounder. Maybe I'm full of it. You can throw this back in my face, but I was impressed with what I saw from him today.
0: Yeah, look, talent-wise, I don't disagree with the concept of what you're saying. F.A. just has such a history of knee injuries that I think it's going to be really hard for teams to convince themselves to take him in the first round. Um, it I wouldn't surprise me if he goes in the second round, but, like, the, the injury concerns with F.A. are, are going to be real. Uh, just based off of, you know, he, he's, I think, torn his ACL multiple times. Uh, last year he was on, like, kind of a minute's limit after uh, a knee injury in the previous summer. Like, you know, it's i want fa to be really good uh i i i like the take i just uh i'm a little bit skeptical i guess is what i would say based on the realities of the way that the nba selects players
2: (laughs) well sam it's midnight in the central time zone in the united states over here so i can just like throw out some garbage and People probably. I
0: love it. No, I, I like the take. I'm just worried. I'm just worried that he's not going to go uh, mm-hmm. as high as I would like him to go. I, I, you brought up the idea of this team roster not totally fitting. And I think that that kind of compliments, you know, what I would say about Leonard Miller. <laughs> Leonard Miller is a guy that's just played with the ball in his hands for his entire career. Right. And he did not look good tonight. Like, let's just kind of call it what it was. Uh, I think he made two shots and he missed an awful lot. Um, What I will say is I think that the Ignite is a really, really good fit for him because he needs to learn how to play off the ball. And he's not going to get a ton of reps playing off the ball with Scoot or playing on the ball with Scoot with the guys that they have on this roster. Like I would even imagine like Cee Sissoko gets a few reps, like everything like that. I would almost rather see Leonard Miller go through kind of the trials and everything difficult uh, as it comes to learning to play off the ball, because he's going to have to do that more in the NBA. If he reaches that level, than you know, kind of, continue to play on the ball and continue to not develop those skills that he actually needs. So it wasn't great for Leonard Miller tonight, but I will say that I think that I don't expect it to be great for him early on because he's adjusting to doing something entirely new on the court uh, that he just hasn't really done in a high level before.
2: 4.15 tonight. I finally found the box score. Over at ESPN.com, you guys could check that out. Four fifteen for Leonard Miller. So I was in the stands at the combine in Chicago when Leonard Miller took the floor. In my head, I was thinking, "Man, this is a bad decision for him to take the floor. Like, be the mystery, be the mystery man, and maybe you can get a team to draft you if you want to do that and enter the league right now." But I was also so excited to watch him play, and I love the idea of players actually playing the combine scrimmages. But, man, he just looked like he has a long, long way to go Yeah, before he's able to compete at an NBA level. He's certainly big and strong. He's got, like, a a strong body. And what is he, 6'10"?
0: He's, like, 6'10 with a 7'2 wingspan. He's a big guy. And he's always played on the ball, like, as a creator, you know, as a transition point guard, you know, in Canada, and hasn't really played, like, a crazy amount of, like, highest level games so you know the the tools are there like the the he can play on the ball a little bit he can pass you saw a couple moments of that tonight but ultimately he he needs to develop the ability to play off the ball in order to play in the nba given how good the nba is and i think that this will help him
2: do that. absolutely every team in the nba should have a shooting coach hopefully the G League ignite have multiple shooting coaches because scoot shot looks a lot better hopefully leonard shot like you said especially off the catch can improve moving forward so uh leonard is just he's a roller coaster man i mean he <laughs> he is just a goofy basketball player out there at this yeah. stage of his career but he's fun to watch and it's awesome that he's on the ignite and it's gonna be cool to like Marvel at Scoot and then see Leonard do something weird. So that's just going to help the vibes all around this year.
0: And and I would bet you that by the end of the year, he looks a lot better than he does now because he will have gotten the experience of playing more off the ball in a way that will help him. It's kind of where I'm at. Uh, Ricky, do you have any other, you know, you said it's 12 o'clock there. Do you have any other takes that you need to get off your chest? Anything you got to say with your heart? Here, before we go. Uh,
2: yeah, I just think that Scoot played a perfect game. He couldn't have played any better. He was phenomenal. You could pour all the hyperbole onto Scoot Henderson tonight, and no one's going to stop you because he was sick. But he was not the headline story of the night because no. of what Victor Wembanyama did, the 7-3s, 5 blocks, just moving around the floor at that size with that level of fluidity, agility. I guess my thing is, how does he exist, Sam? How does this guy actually exist? He's seven foot five. He's quick and he rips threes. How does he exist? Yeah, Bill Simmons tweeted.
0: Existing are so small. Bill Bill Simmons tweeted at one point, like, Scoot Henderson is saving America from this seven foot five alien. I was like, honestly, like, kind of. Uh, Yeah, it was wild. It was a wild game. Honestly, like some of the most fun I've had watching a basketball game in a very long time, it, like in a very, very long time. At the very least, um, this game, I believe you were not at the final four this past year. Were you? If I remember not, correctly, not this year. So the Duke North Carolina final four game being in the stands for that was a fucking wild experience. <laughs> uh there's no other way to put that but like you go past that it's hard for me to think of one where i just had more fun this is the most fun i've had watching a game on tv i would say in a long time uh ricky tell the people where they can find your work tell the people what's going on you
2: can find all my work at sbnation.com i've been covering the draft there for like 10 years and now i'm sort of just like running everything i'm managing nfl writers i am calling the shots over there for sbnation.com so You can check out that website. We're publishing a lot of stories, about 10 stories a day. It's a new change. Made my first hires of my career. We got J.P. Acosta writing about football. We got Mark Schofield is the QB whisperer writing about the NFL. So uh, check out everything at espionation.com. I'll be writing about the draft there and the NBA there all year long and find all my work at that website.
0: I love so much that Ricky is getting a chance to run the show uh, because Ricky has always had great – uh, great taste and great, uh, just understanding of what works and what doesn't work on the internet, I think. Uh, I will be back on Friday or on Thursday, uh, night with spins to talk about game two of the Wembenyama and Scoot series. Uh, just man, if, if it's anything like this, I couldn't be more excited until next time. Uh, we'll talk soon.